Welcome back for another week of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined as always by an amazing panel. This week, I'm going to pass it over first to Spartan Grown. Thanks, Jack. Um, Spartan Grown, you can find me on Instagram, all one word, Spartan Grown. Um, also, you can find me or you can shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com if you don't do Instagram. And I can help you with all your cannabis gardening questions. I, I focus on well, both synthetic and organic gardening, so I can help on both sides. Happy to have you back up. And next up, I should say, Dr. MJ. Hey, guys. Yeah, Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I am excited to be back on the show again this week, um, as always. So you guys can find me at uh, CocoForCannabis.com. We got the Plant Training Grow Challenge coming up. Check out, check that out. Um, or on Instagram at Dr. MJ Coco, or of course, my YouTube channel, which I'm commenting on the chat now. Happy to have you back as always, and cool to hear the Grow Challengers getting started back up. Hopefully this time you'll be uh, able to participate with everybody. And next up, we've got the American one, while we've got Matthew still rolling in. Hello, Jack and everyone on the panel. It's always good to see you guys. Good to see everyone in chat. I'm the American one. Um, the American one underscore with underscore 18s on the IG. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to whatever we have to get into tonight. All righty. Well, next up, Matthew Gates. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Gates. I'm an integrated pest management specialist, but much, most of you already know that. And uh, yeah, if you want to learn more about that, you can go to my channel, Zenthanol, and for professional inquiries, zenthanol.com. We're happy to have you back tonight, and uh, we'll jump right into things. I recently had a harvest that I broke a milestone, uh, interestingly, while actually doing a stress test in a low light situation. But we've talked a little bit about this in the past, so it's kind of like a part two, but I'm going to make it a kind of two topic night. So the first hour, we're going to be talking a little bit about the kind of measurements of a home grower's successes or progress, and a few of them being like the grams per watt. Uh, then there's also the grams per square foot, and then adding to that like grams per square foot per year versus per harvest, because you know if you have one or two or three crops a year, it's different than having four, five, or six crops per year. So those things all kind of weigh into the ultimate yield overall throughout the home growers year. So kind of coming from a perspective of trying to help people increase their understanding of why do we even measure things this way and how can we potentially improve on some of these measurements? I guess to, I teased it a little bit, so I'll just share the story. I was doing a stress test with Velvet Punch F3 and one of the conditions was a low lighting condition, which total my wattage was uh, under 60 watts, but I'll call it 60 watts because I just to round up to make it even. And I just am finishing up the harvest and uh, weighing out the yield and everything. And although it's not even close to my best grams per square foot or um, whatever, it is actually the best grams per watt that I've gotten, which is over two grams yeah. per watt. I would have predicted that. So that's why, again, kind of talking about like we've talked in the past a little bit, Doc, and the rest of the panel about maybe grams per watt not being the best metric. Right. Um, I'll just share that my, my grow light can actually go up to 220 watts. And I have a 33 watt addition to it that has red and blue diodes. So it can actually go up to 255 roughly. So right. considering that I only ran 60, I was on the way, way, way low end, but I was doing this for a stress test of a genetic that I just made, but I'm still weighing up the final bits, but I'm over 140 grams, which is actually a little bit over two grams per watt, uh, just under five ounces. And so I was actually 
looking at the numbers, I was like, wow, that's kind of actually impressive for how little energy I was using. But well, yeah, uh, in, so let me talk of, about that just a, a second. Like the less energy you give, it's really like the right measurement would be micromoles per per gram, right? Or grams per micromole, um, rather like grams per watt. But, um, you know, so how much light you're providing to the plant. And as you provide more and more light, it, it's going to reduce the efficiency of photosynthesis. So like up to about 500 micromoles per square meter, um, the, the drop off there, the marginal drop off as you add additional units of light um, is small and then it starts getting much bigger. But basically, you know, the first 100 micromoles of density that you provide, you're going to get the biggest return from that. The second 100 micromoles you provide, you're going to get sort of the next biggest. And each additional sort of marginal amount of micromoles that you add, you're going to get a smaller and smaller sort of return from that marginal investment. Um, so when you're dramatically under lighting, you're going to have the best efficiencies when you measure returns to lighting or especially to power invested in lighting, which is what you're doing in this case. Um, if you increased the amount of light, you're going to necessarily be sort of driving the efficiency of photosynthesis down. And in that, it's funny because although it's less efficient in photosynthesis, the overall yield is much higher. So like I could push it as low as like not one gram per watt, but a little bit over one gram per watt in a 255 right. watt situation where instead of getting 140 grams out of 60 watts, I'd be running 255 watts and getting, you know, 260 to 280 grams, which is more than, you know, doubling the harvest. And so there is that kind of consideration of what is yeah. the most what, ideal. What you're thinking about, it'd be interesting to know what the PPFD numbers were that were sort of corresponding to this. But what you're dealing with here is, is exactly why we recommend, you know, about 700 micromoles as an average, it, even though plants can tolerate more than that you know, the, the drop off just becomes steeper and steeper when you're not, you know, unless you're adding carbon dioxide, which improves the efficiency of, of photosynthesis as you continuously add sort of more density of light. So I'm, I'm in a lucky situation, I guess, being in a tiny house with cats and my wife and I both live here. Our CO2 is between 12 and like 1700 right. all the time. And that's what cycled into the grow, which allows me to get away with maybe running a little bit higher. Um, like if I run that light at 255 watts, which I almost never do, um, the PPFD is going to be close to that, like 1500, like the very, very, very maximum with maximum CO2 and everything else has to be dialed in. And if anything gets a little off, like if I don't get to the watering in time, or if the soil mix isn't right, right. or if there's not enough microbes, you'll start to see stuff yellowing and crisping and getting dried out more than if I just had it at 220 watts or, uh, 200 watts, then the plants would Certainly. be happier. And, um, it's kind of interesting to try and find that equilibrium. And you're definitely going to have diminishing returns, diminishing marginal returns all the way up there as you ramp up your, your dimmer. Um, but you're going to increase the total quantity of harvest, but at a lower efficiency, sort of at, at each notch up the, the dimmer scale. Yeah. And to be honest, I'm actually fine with having a less grams per watt. I just want to get the maximum amount of yield out of my square footage right. every single harvest. So I'm fine with pushing it a little harder. But the one thing I have noticed is the terpene production and the other aromas, whether it's flavonoids, ketones, esters, aldehydes, whatever they are. Um, if I run a little lower light, I get a little prettier bud and sometimes a little bit terpier bud. 
So there's also that trade-off. And the second half of the show, I want to talk a little bit about going what into about just... density of bud though. I mean, if you're really dramatically underlighting, if the if the bud, you know, the yeah. plants are only getting like an average of 150 micromoles per square meter. Um, I, I would suspect that you're gonna see inferior quality in the the sort of the density of the flowers. So in this case, it was hot and during the summer, so it actually kind of played a yeah. little bit into my hand mm -hmm. of uh, the bud were fox like a little bit foxtailed, but they were very dense and grinding up just like when I run the higher amounts. I did run them maybe a week or two longer, and sometimes three or four weeks longer because I was again stress testing this bud to see if it'll hurt me right. under certain conditions. Um, did you the other, smoke it yet, Chuck? Yeah. Oh, okay. Is it good? Is it as good as you? It smokes just like the unstressed yeah, yeah. Tested stuff. Weirdly enough, it's it's it. I after writing my because I'm I'm writing up the notes to send to the F3 testers, and I like to give them a little bit of an idea of what I found in my phenos as far as structure, smell, highs, things like that. And um, in my notes on my phone where I write this down. I have a review of the American ones, but when we met up one time and had a sample swap and uh, he gave me a Velvet Punch F2 and, you know, smoking that, this was like over a year ago, probably at this point, I went back and uh, in my notes, they were so similar, like probably seven or eight out of the 10 aromas that I like described or, or taste I described were common to both uh, my F3 that I just grew and the F2 sample that you gave to me. So... It was pretty cool to see that consistency. Yeah, because I ran uh, the same plant once under a 400 watt hypersodium instead of a 600 watt, and it was definitely uh, wimpier. I mean, not dramatically, but it was noticeable. It was definitely easily noticeable. So, um, do you have a PPFD tester or anything? Do you know what kind? Of yeah, exactly. That's what I'd like to know. What, what was the PPFD? Yeah. So I have a phone app that my grow has done the conversions with but while i run the the grand motherfucker of it all is i kept my little anthelians on there which have a spectrum that i'm kind of just guessing i have a thing on my phone where it's like a pro mode and you can slide the scale over to try and make it look like the most to your eye essentially and i think i'm around 3100 kelvin but the closest thing i think he has is like a 3000 kelvin translation so it's not exactly perfect and I think that the reds and the blues read a little higher on like a cell phone meter and it's not exactly, you know. I don't even think that the color temperature issue is going to be the biggest thing that throws that conversion off. Um, it's going to be sort of the angle that light is hitting the, the light meter or your phone sensor, um, so your phone it, camera. It tracks a like average. It'll tell you your max and then it'll tell you your minimum and then it keeps your average. So like I think with maneuvering it around, if you keep it in there for like five or 10 minutes and you just take tons and tons of fucking readings, it gives you a semi-accurate, I would imagine. Reading. Yeah, I, I just for what it's worth, I do a lot of grow light testing and you can keep using these. I just want to sort of say that when we them in this conversation, I don't I don't trust those numbers really at all. I've played with those apps and tried to to get them to line up with my Apogee sensors and I just couldn't do it. So Take it with a, different, a grain of salt. I don't think they? it's just a matter of, of sort of the amount of time that the, the sensor stays in the space. How, how different would you say between the Apogee and some of those apps? Like, <laughs> Well, it would, it would make a big difference where it was in the canopy, for example. Oh, sure. So if both the Apogee and the phone were like right in the middle of the canopy, um, you know, they might be off by 10% or something, depending on the settings, I could get them to be within 10%. 
Um, but then, in, you know, and it might be that the phone was showing 10% lower than the apogee. But then I'd move them into the corner and the phone would show a much higher reading than the apogee would um, or, or vice versa. Like they would swing around based on sort of where the, the phone was. It's actually the phone readings plummeted in the corners, whereas the apogee readings didn't go down as much. Um, so and the reason is the, the phone. The sensor? Yeah, the sensor is yeah. not going to be picking up the, the low angle light. As well, and it's not going to be compensating for the power of the low angle light. So if it's getting a lot of direct light, it, it's better right in the center. If it if most of the light that it's measuring is coming from the light itself, it's going to do a better job. But when you get into the corners or up against the walls and you get sort of more light that's bouncing off at a lower reflection, it just doesn't do a good job of of calibrating for that. I only the you have measured in the Oh, sorry, Tom, go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. But does the Apogee have a bubble sensor, like a dome or no? It's domed, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah that's, the bigger that's issue there isn't yeah. just the sensing, it's the correction for the low angle energy. When, when a photon comes in and strikes the surface, whatever sensor at a low angle, it's not going to have as big of an impact as when it hits straight down. So the sensor has to be able to, to do what they call cosine correction for the angle of attack and essentially give those low angle photons more credit because they're gonna appear, like to put it into to luminosity terms, they're gonna appear dimmer because they're coming at that sort of angle to the sensor. But if they hit a photo, uh, you know, photosynthesis, they're going to have just exactly the same amount of impact on that if they hit um, chloroplast. So we even need to be able to count those at this the even, same. Even though they lose energy when they deflect off of something, um, it's still enough energy for photosynthesis, right? That's not really a problem. It's just the machine is having trouble. Um, yeah, the machine, right, the sensor doesn't sort of register as strong of a hit when a low angle mm -hmm. photon hits it as when a straight down photon hits it. So be um, clear, I was measuring pretty much only exclusively in like the prime areas of the canopy. The corners are less of a concern for me. I'm worried about the max PPFD to try and keep right. it under a certain level. And if it's within 10% is what you're saying is the best you could get. Migros, things literally track right on top of each other as a perfect graph several different apps he's done it several different times on several yeah. different videos so i mean as a home grower I'm, i just I'm not i don't want to comment too much on that because people have reasons for for sort of as a home grower i'm going to say that most of our listeners have told me personally that they're not going to shell out for a 50 dollars ec meter so i know yeah, that they're no, not going to shell I, out I for a 500 i just don't think you should put a whole lot of credence into the phone apps that, that's um, my point I don't okay. think most growers need to show up much more I than that for, for sensors. Totally happy with your opinion and that you shared it. But I will say as a home grower as well, who's not ever going to shell out for that, that it gives you something versus nothing at all, which is what we were going off of before. I had absolutely nothing, zero, not, I had no idea. I could go on and watch a YouTube video, but the grow light company, Timber Grow Lights, does not have a PPFD map accurate to what, and you haven't done a test on it and neither is my grow. So it's like, my hands are tied in the situation. I bought the light that fit my space. It's, it was the most efficient light at the time. I did something to it that changed it. But yeah, well, I would just allows... come at this differently, Jack, but that, that's fine. It's, it's quite clear that, that you don't really want to discuss this It allows people like myself and others to have some sort of yeah, it's nothing for sure, whether it's accurate yeah. or not. I mean, it's, it's. Yeah. Well, 
I guess the way I would come at this is it would be more important to understand the total amount of light than the density of light at any spot in these situations. So I would come at that measurement in this situation based on, you know, my best understanding of what the efficiency of the fixture was and how much power it was drawing um, to be able to understand sort of the total amount of light that I wanted to add into that space. Because all these yield, you know, numbers that we're doing with here are based on PPF. They're based on the total amount of light. They're not based on PPFD, which is the density that you're measuring with the sensor um, or taking those spot measurements. So, you know, I, I don't know the specific light you're dealing with, but I'd probably guess at the estimate at the sort of what the usable efficiency would be based on comparable lights and measure the power draw to get an understanding of your usable PPF that you were adding to that grow space. I think so, that any grower can do that without buying anything. And that'll give you actually really good information about sort of how much light you have and you know how strong you should set it in whatever space that you have that you're operating in. I think in an ideal world, that definitely works. I just if I monocropped and I knew exactly how much every strain was going to stretch and everything like that, it might work out. But my canopy is always kind of a little bit, you know, sometimes I'll set the light at the top of the tent and just let it crank. Sometimes I'll lower it down and then gradually raise it up. So yeah, I'm not talking about hanging height at all. I'm just talking about the amount of light. But I was going to get to that point, I guess the it's like the, I think it's the two VS or something. It's a cob light. It's a little over 2.0 micromoles per joule. And then I have, like I said, uh, red and blue, a 660 right. and 440 nanometer that are Osram diodes that are also in the same roughly uh, efficiency range. And although I think I, the Timber Girl Lights does list the total PPF, if I run it all the way to the max to get what that is, the plants definitely no, are no, no. So you just take the, you take the efficiency. So say we're going to give it two micromoles per watt as the efficiency. And then what's your power draw, like your actual power draw from the wall? 200 watts you said that you've been cranking it up and down 220 so would do, be the max and i i this grow was 60 it was under so 60, 60 actually 53 two, watts. you're doing 120 is your ppf based on our estimate here 60 watts at two micromoles per watt so you're you're giving a ppf of about 120 now when that light is fully cranked up at what 200 something watts what'd you say 220 watts but then i have a 33 so, addition so it'd be two closer to 255 we'll say so that would be like 500 micromoles of PPF when it was fully cranked up, right? So basically what we're doing here is we're, we're just multiplying the power draw by the efficiency of the fixture to get the, the estimated usable PPF, which is sort of how much light is going to be falling on your canopy overall. Um, and again, the, the, that I think is probably the most important number for growers to if you're trying to estimate yield particularly, or if you're trying to track sort of like quality of one harvest versus quality of another harvest or quality of harvest with one light versus the other light, that's really the number that you want to be getting at is the, the amount of PPF you're delivering to the, the harvest um, versus the, you know, the amount of grams that you got. So that's what our harvest estimates are is, you know, when we're doing the, the benchmark harvest estimates in the grow light calculator, for example, we're taking the, the usable PPF and, and dividing that to understand sort of what the, the grams should be for a different. Can I ask how the hanging height doesn't come into play? Because especially with cobs, they're like way more intense if you run them close than if you run them further away. So 
when yeah, you have to have them at the minimum hanging height. I'm not I'm not objecting that. I'm just saying that that's a different issue. That's not the issue that we're talking about in terms of harvest size and everything else. So I'm not saying like harvest height, hanging height doesn't matter. I'm just saying that that's a different problem than the problem that we're trying to solve in terms of measures of success. Right. But like when you said I'm running 250 watts at two micromoles that I would be giving 500 PPF. Yep. I just think that, so that's the maximum. Essentially. No, that's how many PPF, if in that scenario, if you have 250 watts going through a fixture that's getting 2.0 usable micromoles per watt, then you're going to end up with 500 micromoles. Now, you might have entirely more than you can stand in terms of a PPFD in one spot versus another. I'm not saying that that's going to be safe in your space. That safe in your space depends on PPFD. But the amount of light that you're going to be adding to that space is a function of the power draw and the efficiency of the fixture. Now, whether or not that light is distributed in, in well enough, because saying 500 micromoles, that's not a density. That's not 500 micromoles per square meter. It's a total 500 amount. micromoles could give you 1,000 micromoles per square meter average over half a square meter. Or it could give you, you know, 250 micromoles average over two square meters. Um, that's the difference between sort of PPF, which is the amount of light, and PPFD, which divides it by meters square to get a density reading instead of sort of quantity reading. So um, when I'm talking about the quantity of light, 500 micromoles, that's, that's how much light you would get, irrespective of hanging height or anything else. As long as those numbers were valid, you actually have 250 watts, and you're actually putting them through a fixture that gets 2.0 micromoles per watt. I'm trying to find the fixture on their website. I think it's literally outdated because all their stuff is now bar lights, unfortunately. So, yeah, uh, it, it was a little over too, but well, they, I remember... they're going to advertise a total PPF or a total PPE in this case, which is probably what they got or what they assumed they would get in a sphere test. The numbers that it I'm was running a sphere, you're correct. And yours are versus the actual what's hitting the canopy. And I do understand a usable PPF, right? Which is right. what hits the canopy. So we'd have to take a discount there. And the discount that I'd recommend just off the top of my head, if they're if you're thinking it's 2.0 total, it would be like I think it was like 2.3. I was discounting to make it more like what okay. it would be as the usable. So this is the calculator does does that too, right? It, it depends on if it's a calculated value or if it's a measured value. Um, and we take a different discount for each of those. So the calculator would either discount that down to about two or about 1.8, um, depending on whether you thought it was a calculated value that from the manufacturer or it was actually from a sphere test. All righty. Well, I'm going to take a little change of pace and pass it over to, I guess, Spartan Grown. I know that you've recently switched over to some new LEDs. And you've got a whole bunch of different stuff over there from, I think, Grandmaster level to HLG and a whole bunch of different things. I'm curious what your approach is to finding out your like hanging heights, density levels and, and intensity of the thing and uh, what kind of wattage draws you're running and uh, all that good stuff. So I take the very unscientific approach by just putting my plants underneath the lights and seeing how they react to it and then adjust from there. And um all of my lights that I have right now, actually, and so my flower room is all GML lighting, and so is my veg. I have an HLG in my uh, in my breeding tent, and those are the lights I'm running. The flower light I have 
two. I have the Vulcan board light, which is, uh, <laughs> I should pull this stuff up and I can actually give you the answer instead of guessing because that's terrible to just guess. Let me do that real quick. But I got the long, there's two lights. There's a, it's a bar light, which is the long legs, they call it. And then there's a, um, a board light, which he calls the, uh, the tarantula, the Vulcan, I believe it was. Tarantula Vulcan boards is what they're called. Let me pull up his website. And um, so the long legs, I've had to uh, dial down to 90%. And um, I've had it as, as high as 100% if I have shorter plants. But I've noticed that the plants that I like to grow, I have to have it around 90% because they tend to be about four foot tall plants. And uh, I, I need to do that for the height difference that I had. I was surprised that I could, uh, I don't know why I can't find the website. I was surprised that I could run the Vulcan because that one is the, um, that one is his highest, like his flagship, uh, what do you call it? Flagship light. And I didn't think I had the headspace for it, but I absolutely do. When I looked at the power maps, uh, I, I could definitely do it. So I threw it in there and surprisingly enough, it's working well right now. Right now I've only got one plant underneath it because I didn't want to risk four. I usually row four in a four by four. Um, these lights are really covering probably more like a four by five. And so I have two lights next to each other. Do they spill over in the middle? So they got that extra light between the two. Both set at 90% right now and both are rocking it. As far as the par levels, I tested uh, a par level on the long legs. I haven't tested the par levels on the Vulcan yet. I just put the plants underneath there and they seem to be happy. So I haven't changed anything but i haven't actually tested the par level but the test of the par level underneath the long legs and i was getting at eight at 18 inches i was getting a thousand it was like a thousand twenty four ppf or something like that but it was, i'll just call it a thousand ppf ppfd for the spot right ppfd yes ppfd i'm sorry and um i don't want to go much higher than that because I, I was seeing some buds that were like a little bit higher than the spot where i got that reading where I was starting to get a little bit of foxtailing. And they weren't getting bleaching, but it was getting flocks, foxtailing, which I don't really want to get bad foxtailing. So I think that for me, and in my setting, and my, my average CO2 is probably around 600 average, but I peak at about eight, 800 to 1,000. And uh, it might dip down to maybe three, 400 at times. But with that, I, I, I think my peak is 1,000. I don't think I can really push much more than that without having adverse effects. And then in my veg, it's a complete different. I'm not pushing very, I should get that measured because I'm down to 40% on the uh, GML V6, he calls it. It's a, it's just a veg spectrum light. It's got blue light, blue heavy light, but it's, it's a six bar, bar light. And I have it hung all the way to the top of the, as high as I can to the ceiling. And, but I have it down to about a 40% intensity because it's really too intensive a light for, for, for that space, to be honest. Um, so I just raised it high so I get a good spread and then then got it at a I had it at a higher percent, but it was the plants, the young plants were struggling. So I had to bump it down to 40%. But like I said, it's unscientific as far as I don't have the exact numbers to tell you the PPFD in there, but I was just going by what the plants were telling me when, when they're struggling and I turn it down and they get better. I know that's where I want to be. Do you even at this point, I know some growers have stopped and I have many harvests. I don't even weigh it, but I'm curious, do you weigh your crop still? Do you go through and individually like weigh it out or do you get an idea of like, Oh, there's this many jars or how do you. I weigh everything. I weigh every single harvest. So absolutely. That's, not that's a good mindset. I think a lot yeah. of people home growing sometimes might get uh, complacent and just 
stop doing it. But I think from the maybe commercial mindset or just, you know, wanting to know exactly what each plant does for you, it's good to measure them out. Yeah. And in fact, uh, I'll pat myself on the back a little bit here. My last harvest, which was GG4. Um, it's my second harvest since I got it back. I um, uh, had Scoba holding on to it for a while for me, and I just asked him for it back and uh, put it back in the rotation. This is my second grow since I got it back from him. And so, like I said, I grow a, I grow four plants per, we'll say four by five. And uh, this is one of the four plants and it yielded, uh, what was, I was an ounce and five grams shy of a pound. So just over three quarter pound on, uh, on that. I thought I was, I was super stoked with that. So, I mean, if you times that by four, you know, you're over two pounds for the, for that space. So I can't be more happy with that kind of a yield. What I'd like to see is I'd like to see a half pound per plant. That's what I'm, that's my goal. And if I, if I'm yielding less than a half pound, I'm itching to get rid of that plant unless I can, you know, squeeze somehow figure out so how to squeeze out a little bit more yield. Otherwise, if it doesn't and, become worth it to grow it. Well, if and when that is the case, like say you had one that was just, I think a half pound is eight ounces, right? 16 ounces in a pound, if I'm uh, yes, correct. Right. But uh, so if you had one that was like seven ounces or seven and a half, maybe it was some killer shit, like some of your favorite smoke. How are you going to try and push it from that seven and a half to eight, nine, maybe 10 ounces? If it's killer shit and it only yields two ounces, I'll keep it probably. But well, it would have to be killer. I mean, it would have to be, you know, Mac one. It would have to be something that I really, 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 really like. I can make exceptions, but those are just like, it's not like a hard, fast set rule that it has to be this amount. But um, it's just like, that's that's my barometer, right? So when someone says, is that a heavy yield? It's got to be more than a half pound for me to say, yeah, it's a heavy yield. If it, they say, you know, it's a light yield, well, it'd be less than a half pound for me. Um so yeah, it's an, a yield is a negative thing for me. It can be negative, like a, a low yield could be negative, but it doesn't mean that one negative means I'm going to cut the plant. If it's good and everything else, then I'll probably still keep the plant. And you're running a kind of perpetual, right? So you yeah. have just plants ready to go in whenever stuff's coming down, new stuff's going in. Yeah. How many crops would you guesstimate per year? Do you have like one a month, uh, six, seven, eight, ten? How many roughly would you say per year do you take down? Oh, that's so hard because I got also got autoflowers mixed in there too. So, man, I would say, I would say it would be surprising if I wasn't at least pulling down three or four plants in a month. And that could be a mix of autoflowers or full photo periods or whatever. But between all the stuff that I'm doing, yeah, I'm probably getting probably averaging one a week then. Yeah, probably four a month. So basically you're replacing your whole entire four by five each month roughly yeah yeah each month. so that's one harvest goal. per month 12 roughly per year that's per, why i have two lights plot. that's why i have two lights in the flower room it's roughly um roughly based on an eight-week schedule so if you're roughly guessing they're going to be in there for eight weeks i can alternate between the two lights you know one month you know all four of these ones will be switched out the next month all four of those will be switched out and uh, that keeps my rotation going but there's sometimes that I, I, what was that, Tal? I was just going to say, Flora Nogs in chat was asking, how, how tall do you let the plants veg to get a half pound of uh, material off of it? Like, how tall and veg before you flipped? So, for me, the way that I do, what I do in my veg is I don't time how long they're in veg. I couldn't tell you how long they're in veg, but it just goes by the height. So, I, I train my plants to, to fill the, the pot that they're in, the space that the pot is in. 
So for me, my pots are about a two by two size. So it's trained flat to fill a two by two. But once it's trained flat to fill a two by two, and it's half the height that I want the plant to be, I flip it. That's that what's, one's ready. What's to go. that height? Like two feet, one foot? It depends on the plant because all plants grow differently, you know. Right, it but uh, yeah, on average, it's probably about two foot. So I finish about four. Now I'm talking from the top of the pot to the top of the plant. I'm not because my pots are tall too. I probably lose another from the soil essentially eight inches the... or so. Yeah, but so from the soil to the top of the plant, it's probably four foot at harvest. But they're it's covering nice. they're covering a two by two space too. So if you're looking at as far as how much canopy space that is, it's probably a two by two space, and then the depth is probably eighteen inches to two feet it's funny i'm like exactly a half on everything with yours like probably half the size of the bed half the size of the plant like i'm flipping it at about a foot and it's like a one-by-one one plant and if i get like you know at least four ounces that's like a bearable thing because then i'll have an eight ounce harvest which is a half pound and if i get enough of those in pull down a few pounds a year out of a tiny little closet which is good for me but i've actually done better than that i mean in some circumstances and going back to the gram per watt thing i my 1.5 gram per watt was my biggest yield ever and it was like about 12, maybe close to 13 ounces in the same space, but running uh, probably 230 watts. So it is definitely a trade-off and uh, there's a lot of ways to go about it. I don't run a perpetual harvest. I've considered it because I'm so, <laughs> I'm very bad about wanting to like take a week off between harvest or that becomes two weeks because I'm like, I got to clean my stuff and then, you know, reset or whatever. And I don't necessarily, oh, schedule, you know, flower is going to take nine weeks. So I have to have something ready nine weeks ahead. So there's always a little bit of downtime. Like I could get six crops per year. I usually end up with like four or five. So instead of 12, like Spartan's pulling off with a perpetual. So he has more space, but it's also takes planning and effort and lots of work. Lots and of you're training. tied to it. Yeah. Like you're saying, you don't get that week or, or whatever. You're tied to it because there is no in between because everything's on a different, different life cycle. I finally pulled up that webpage. I'd like to at least share this, uh, this one uh, light here. Oh, I can't. Well, let me. I just clicked the thing so you should be able to. Okay. Oh, wow. I have a lot of screens open. Okay. <laughs> I believe it's this one. But it has the specifications. Is that showing for you guys? Yep. Okay. So this is the new light that I just got the Vulcan board, I guess it's called Tarantula Vulcan board. But uh, here's the specs right here. So it was a 720 watt uh, draw on that. And I've got it at 90% too. So this one and the long legs both are at 90. Oh, it says it covers a five by five. I'm covering a four by five with it. And the uh, efficiency is 2.9. Okay, here's the output that they're saying. I didn't, I didn't make a measurement, but he's claiming the 2152 for the PPF. So that's not really a believable number. I'll just start with that. Well, it's, um, tested. it's got the test. Here. That would put this fixture like up with the the chilled grow craft ultra in terms of like well, it is the, the most efficient fixtures that have ever been tested yeah, it is the most efficient that's why if it was actually because that number what was the total ppf there 21 something yeah can you go back to that i'm gonna go back to it right here that's even showing higher than 2.9 so they're claiming 2152. 21. Yeah, you guys can follow along with this in terms of uh, like do how to do grow light math here, but it is 720 watts times 2.9 micromoles per watt is 2088. 
So, so we're offended by 70 something. Yeah. You go in the other way, if it was 2152 and if they actually measured that and they measured it at a 720 watt power draw, then they would have claimed, you know, 2.98 or two or 3.0 as their efficiency. So there's a, a disconnect in these numbers, which, which leads me to believe that they're coming from different sources. Um, I'm not entirely sure where they would get the, the 2152 number from. I'm going to guess they're, stock they, and say there's a difference uh, of efficiency in the Osram diode and the Samsung diode because I'm seeing those two listed and they're probably taking the factory spec and saying, oh, Osram claims this and Samsung claims this. I think Samsung's right. a little over three and Osram's a little under three. Right. And, and they're saying 2.9, right? So they're trying, that, that's how you do a calculated PPF. And if those numbers even come close, in, in this case, it's it's exceeding sort of that number. I can almost guarantee you that the 2.9 number comes from a, a fairly low power draw through what the diodes that they're using. So that's sort of where that starts, but that's not from sort of a sphere test and certainly not from a, a usable test. So that number would come down to like the 2.9. I, I think we'd give it like 2.1 or something it, based on sort of how most fixtures. I'm sure if you're uh, interested, I could talk to Jim Allen. He'd send you a light to test. Uh, you know, if he wants to reach out to me, he's, he's more than welcome to. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. He's had some some sort of feedback for me in the past. And I, like he came on trying to apologize for that once on here. But yeah, I didn't even really realize that we were talking about his light. I'm just thinking about how those numbers work, right? So 720 right. watts so times I don't know this. I don't know this to be fact. Yeah. But I will say this, that I know that he's had his lights tested and he... The, the PPF that he claimed here is usually short, smaller than the test results because the um, history he's had with other lighting companies where it's been the other way, it's gotten him into issues with customers. So now he pads his number as far as the other way so that the test good. is actually higher than what he's claiming. So that well, then post it. Right. You pod, he wants to under promise and over deliver. I think that's right. probably why, like Doc is saying, so, he should have just wrote the 2.92 or whatever it is. Then the numbers would actually add up if you did the math for somebody like Doc who knows. Because that, so, that's, that's, that's what that, that's not really the, the issue, math, right? When we see a number like 2.9 written like that, that's all, almost always a, a reflection of the diodes that are used in the fixtures. That's not, you know, if it's not if, if it was a result of a, of a sphere test, then post the sphere test. Then, then say that somewhere. He has. I, just, I don't see it here. I guess I'll have to DM and ask for that spear test. That's Maybe. what I would want to see from, you know, looking at it grow light. Otherwise, I'm going to assume numbers like that are calculated right. unless I see that it's coming from a sphere test. Right. That's just fair. from what I've done the research on diodes, I would agree with Doc that it seems like a calculated number because when I've read the press releases from Samsung on what the diodes efficiencies are, they're just very slightly above that in the highest, highest claims I've ever seen ever is like just over three. So I think that might lead to some, but again, like at the right. end of the day. That, that's a, that's from the diode well, number. And doc, even yeah. Samsung exaggerates a little bit, right? Like they have it on the perfect setting, highest, best light, like, right? From what I understand, like they really max out what the diode well, can do. Yeah, so. Not artificially, he, but somewhat, right? 
Absolutely. So the, the manufacturers will publish the efficiency of the diodes at different power draws. And every grow light manufacturer is going to sort of put a num different number of, of diodes in the fixture. So most like the full spectrum diodes that, that we're counting are, are one watt diodes. But you don't want them to be driven at one watt. At one watt of power, they'll be pretty inefficient. Um, you know, the, the sweet spot is usually at about 25% of their power. So you would like to, them to get like a quarter of a watt. Um, but specifically, if it's like 0.24 or 0.28, there's a, a way to calculate exactly what that diode should get um, per the amount of, of current that's passing through it. So a manufacturer is ideally going to use those numbers that reflect the actual current draw of the different diodes that they're using. If they're only using, you know, three diodes per watt and they're giving each diode like a third of a watt instead of a quarter of a watt, they should publish a lower number. And that's sometimes why, you know, you'll see similar fixtures with the same brand of diodes and one of them is claiming 2.8 and the other one's claiming 2.9. That's often related to sort of how many diodes there are per watt in those different fixture setups. I don't know if that answers does, your question or not. Does binning matter? I've heard like, oh, yep. this brand uses the highest in. So it's like the cleanest off production line, no flaws, perfect diode. Yeah, that's what I like meant. The, right, yeah. yep. uh, fell out of a box. It's a little messed up and it might not be yeah. full efficient. So again, manufacturers uh, should be rating their fixtures based on the bin of the diodes that they're actually using. Um, so, but it, it, yeah, there are different bins and diodes and among some manufacturers, the difference between different bins can be fairly significant. Uh, yeah, right. like this is not true just for LEDs, but other, you know, microelectronics and microchips and things like that. Uh, the technology is very complicated and advanced to make uh, to make those those fractional and uh, sometimes not so fractional improvements in uh, efficiency or whatever. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, so all of that matters. This is why you know don't just pay attention to the brand that somebody's using on their diodes. There's been a lot of uh, fixtures just to use the most popular example of the Samsung LM301H or B diodes that you know they're overpowering those diodes they're not using enough of them they're not getting the highest bin and you know they're just marketing that to you because they know you a lot of growers are like oh i want the samsung lm301h where there may be better lights that use like off-brand diodes there may be better diodes in in the lights that are using off-brand diodes that you've never heard about yeah, that's what or I even heard. Samsung, just an older one that they can get right. more of, so they place more of on the thing. So I like there's the like 301B and, and 301A thing, but I but it's like a oh, we're losing you a little bit. Up, I think we're losing you a little, Jack. But I, let me sneak in and say I think it was the bin. Like there was, uh, I think I think it might have been JML saying when they do a light, they use that like top bin diode to do the mac the calculations. But when you get a light, there's only like ten percent of them top diodes, if that right. the real actual light. Right. That was part of the skew on. I totally believe that. There's all sorts of different ways that manufacturers can spike their advertised numbers like that, um, and. You know, we just trust them in a lot of cases. I mean, I don't. I'm not trying to make videos and test and see if they're actually doing these things. But 
Otherwise, you're kind of forced to, to trust what they say. Like, we don't see the test results. I love it when they actually post the test results from a third-party testing agency. I mean, that's great. And I wish more manufacturers would do that. I think a lot of them that have had their lights tested don't because they want to be able to advertise the higher calculated mm -hmm. values. You know what I love? I love when this guy, Dr. MJ Coco on Coco for Cannabis, does a light review oh, and does the bar testing. Then you know it's real. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Actually, I was going to not not that it's Doc's testing is the question, but like, let's say chilled instead of saying like, this is our Growcraft premium top of the top best light that we sell for like $3,000 or whatever. It's right. extremely, you know, if they didn't send that, if they sent like, this is our standard light that costs $400 and then they just put all the best diodes into it and then send it to you. And then they send everybody else the one that has the lowest bins, less diodes. Like, do people yeah. really go through and count? all those thousands of diodes on some of these giant ass lights it's like they could definitely get away with skimping at least one percent probably five maybe ten percent on some of those diodes and people would probably not know or just people have them asked down. them if i check to make sure they're not spiking the lights that they send to me they, they, that's definitely come up before um and yeah they i'm pretty confident that they're not um that would require honestly from like a engineering perspective from what i do know about assembly lines and things like that that would actually require them to like retool things to yeah, make a specific light with a better right. set of diodes which would well, be the a one exception to this stretch. guys is probably that that chilled ultra prototype that i tested because they sent that to me as a prototype I, I knew it at the time and i say that but then they're like we're going to release this as a production model light and they changed um, some of the wiring in it as a production model light. And I don't know how that one would test. I don't know how big of a, of a deal that would be, but it was a cost-saving measure. And they invested a lot of, of sort of money in those prototypes. That was the only light. And there was a whole saga behind this because Smart Poker, who's in our chat now, I think actually got to grow with that light because I sent it to him. But they asked for it back. They're like, uh, we need to get that prototype back. And I'm like, you need it back? Like, nobody oh, ever asked for their yeah. lights back. I like give that them away sucks. most of the time. I'm like, I'm already sending this one to my buddy Small Poker, who's going to test it. And he's like, okay, well, we can let Small Poker run it, but then we're going to have to get it back because that's a prototype and it's got things, you know, it's got this. I can't even remember what it was now. Proprietary technology. Oh, that's yeah, it had something that they, they like wanted to get back. So that was one case where I think I probably was sent a, a sort of souped up light that was. They needed the flux capacitor back, obviously. I mean. <laughs> right. But, but the, yeah, you got to reverse engineer that bitch. <laughs> I think we can all agree, though. We're getting to the point to where it's not. Well, it, it's still a lot about efficiency, but I think it's getting to the point where that's going to slow down. It's going to be about extra things like spectrums and and just all these other features Gosh. that we haven't even thought of that uh, is going to be easier for the gardener or somehow yeah. helps the plants oh, yeah. in some way. It's Controllability, I think, um, and some other things. And I think there's, there's going to be a whole wave of gimmicks that hit the grow light market mm, as people try already to, have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. already have. Um, try to diversify sort of themselves from the rest of the offerings out there. I have and an example so because it's it's no longer on the market. Timber Girl Light's the light that I use. They came out with a, uh, their cobs had this little reflector, right? And it looks pretty, right? It, it shoots a beam down onto the plant. You think, oh, that's cool. That's better. That's better. Whatever. Well, they actually did their internal testing and they found out it made them less efficient. So they right. took the reflectors off. Mine don't have the reflectors on there, but I still see some people running those. Right. And I'm like, it is, and I see certain companies representing optics or whatever it is, and I do think it comes down to the efficiency. And there's a lot of ways to game the testing, but 
I would agree with Spartan that most companies are all getting better across the board, whether it's like a Vivo Sun, a Vipar Spectra, you're not really seeing too many blur flows anymore. Almost everybody's got a pretty decent, even the knockoffs are getting better and better. Um, but the one thing I wanted to mention is kind of why uh, I wanted to bring this topic up because some of the growers, I think, do chase their tail looking at that grams per watt number and they want it to be higher and higher and higher. And like I was just sharing my biggest grams per watt, first time ever, I'm over yeah. two grams per watt for the first time ever. But what we don't account for is like, I was running the same tent that I yielded, you know, less gram or more total and less grams per watt, but the climate control, my intake fan, my exhaust fan, the circulation fans, all that other electricity that's running, unless you've like taken the meter to your wall and figured out what your total grow is pulling, then your grams per watt of your light is so arbitrary because some people might be running very little exhaust. Some people might be running a shit ton of AC and like, that's going to really factor into your kilowatt per hour. If you're cranking like AC all day, every day that's going to cost maybe even more than your light. And so, sometimes that might be your fault. And sometimes that might be because you live in Texas. I mean, yeah. you know, that might not be anything that you can do about it. So that's why, and I said this in the, in the chat, you know, grams per watt combines the efficiency of the fixture and the efficiency of the grower. And we can break that down. So the grams per micromole is the efficiency of the fixture. And then the micromoles per gram is the efficiency of the grower. Um, so how effective are you, once we have light, <laughs> turning that light into, you know, cannabis, grams of cannabis to harvest? And I think that that number is, is sort of more translatable in terms of grower skill and sort of isolates it down to, well, you know, efficiency of the grow, which is grower skill in, in that you made the decisions to like set it up that way. Um, and you can, you know, compare different styles of growing side by side or different growers or other things like that. You can equalize for growers that have different kinds of lights um, more easily that way. But the relationship between how much light you have and how much space you have it is also always going to sort of affect efficiency. Um, and, you know, we, we choose to operate most of the time not at the point where we're sort of maximizing the, the grams per um, watt number as much as I think you're right. Probably our goal for a lot of growers is more, you know, maximizing the grams per square foot. Side of it. Yeah, or something. You or, know, it was a lot easier when there was 1000 waters and everyone had a fair. Uh, you know, yeah, exactly. Now it's field. so many variables. Like to try and say that one grower, under a totally different light is better than an under other grower. Right, but if we know how much light test, you yeah. have, that's different. If we just know how much power you have and you have HPS, I'll, I mean, and I have LED, a high efficiency mm -hmm. LED, and we both run the same amount of power, I'm going to have twice You're as much knock light. Me out. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's not a fair fight, not right? Anymore, yeah. to, to go grams per watt. It still would be a fair fight to do micromoles per gram. I mean, to, to say like, yeah, I had a lot more micromoles. I, I would be expected to have a lot more cannabis, but like, what's the ratio there? So to transition a little bit early into the next topic, unless uh, anybody, uh, I didn't really give Matthew much of a chance to jump on, on that first part, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts before we wrap that up and go into the- I, I have a question part. to ask you guys after Matthew chimes in on that one. Oh, um, well, I was, I was uh, talking in the chat a little bit with some people who had some interesting points about the, um, about this conversation. Um, I do feel like efficiency will probably always be kind of a factor, but um, it is interesting to note that 
uh, we are looking at, you know, other sorts of spectra, right? And um, in some cases, they're more or less important, depending on what you're trying to do. But, you know, at the same time, I, I think that we have to, we have to really consider that people have been doing light for a very long time, um, our understanding of like, plant biology, and, you know, the light dynamics of that, like Dr. Coco has mentioned, um, you know, we, we, we have a pretty good understanding of that. It's just kind of hard to think that, um, th that like, you're going to have some sort of like a magical new thing come about. Um, you know, it's, it's all mechanistic, you know, there are, there, people are always searching for the most efficient light, uh, or at least producers are trying to find ways to make something that's more efficient at lower cost and at scale and all this sort of thing. So, um, I'm not sure how much maturing the technology is, and I don't know if we'll have like a candlestick to fluorescent light bulb, or I mean, a, I'm sorry, filamentous light bulb, like transition, you know, I don't know if we'll have the next step. I mean, the next step that is the LED already, <clears throat> right? But, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it'll be interesting. There's always something new. What's the next LED or is LED what's just the, what's more the, Yeah, exactly. What, uh, I mean, like, I guess like, don't be fooled. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of fast talkers that use statistics uh, to make their point, um, you know, surreptitiously. Uh, so, you know, just be aware, just be aware. I'm not a physicist. So, you know, um, Yo, I rely on other people to be able to, to explain it to me. So I have a general question. Are you guys familiar with a Fresnel lenses? It's like a big magnifying glass. Oh, dude, these things are wild. They, you set it up with the sunlight. You know, like how you, you know, burn ants with a magnifying glass. This thing will melt rock or like shatter it. It melts it. It's, oh yeah, it's so crazy. But I was wondering if they could somehow utilize some sort of that kind of technology to make lighting better in an indoor setting. They're but doing we're already uh, grow we're already tubes, dropping them. You know, uh, like they have these. 100%. They have these things, and it's not exactly kind of how you're describing, but they have a dome on the top of your building so that people. Um, are having to run basically like almost no to little um, indoor lighting for their indoor cultivation. They have these little reflectors that essentially capture the light, shoot it down a tube, and then that light is projected out onto the canopy, either in greenhouse or yeah, indoor solar cultivation. Tubes, yeah, solar, tubes. solar tubes. Yeah. I don't know. It would be interesting to see what the what the sort of collector on the roof would have to look like yeah. in order to get the, the kind of PPFD we would want down at the bottom. But um and you need the sun so on really bad rainy days that's exactly the, the thing about the sun is there's just so many photons bombarding us so constantly that if you can like focus them or harness them or yeah. tap them or whatever they can be a really powerful force but it's the sun and it comes with a lot of limitations now well, and speaking fiber of optic i'm sorry <laughs> go ahead Tom. but you know fiber optics that's like you can have the it's a glass tube and then the light goes through it all right can they do that somehow doc do you know or is it not just you're gonna drop off i mean you're gonna lose a lot of, of okay. efficiency the longer you send this light through any kind of tube through anything yeah, yeah. i mean I we're say... not just trying to get a signal through like in a you know a, a computer relay sense with fiber optic yeah. cables we're trying to actually provide dense light to plants that's one you can actually go and check out. They've got some grow set up, um, some experiments that they'll show off their solar tubes versus like, I think they even have side-by-sides versus their other indoor grows. Kind of cool, but I don't think that it's necessarily like the cure-all. You have to be in a really sunny area or install a shit ton of these and the cost of them versus the cost of lights and all that good stuff and different seasons, angles of the sun, all that stuff makes it really complicated. 
But uh, speaking of the sun, I think personally for me, uh, the second topic we're going to get into is like kind of how to maybe increase highs of cannabis because we're all growing it, right? We want want to essentially consume it, and the duration, whether it's a high or a medicine, um, I think we can all agree we'd want it to be longer. One hack that I think Spartan Grown will mention, and I also use it myself, is RSO, taking like a Rick, Rick Simpson oil or some sort of concentrate or edible that'll last over a longer period of time. But I'm trying to kind of focus this conversation a little bit more specifically to the flower and think about maybe things that we can do to try and increase the potency. Like, I think a lot of people are now coming to the conclusion that maybe higher terpenes are going to change the high or alter the high or maybe extend the high versus just having purely cannabinoids. So maybe I've heard oftentimes in the past people talk about sulfur or different things in their soils or uh, tricks to do with their cocoa to try and increase terpenes. So maybe we could start there. But I'm curious just to go around the panel before we get into this discussion, if you were to smoke just like flour, a bowl, a joint, whatever it is, what is the average duration of the high? If you just stopped smoking and you had like go out to work or go to do something out and about where you have a tolerance break, so to speak, afterwards. And so I'll have to it. explain that second part. So why would you stop smoking? Well, sometimes <laughs> you're forced to. Some people have to go to like a job that they can't consume cannabis or they might have to be with like. Right. Yeah. No, that's you might be skydiving or, or something. You know, that's happened just, to me before. You can't. Um, so just one bowl. Does it? I mean, I need a little bit more uh, like how many puffs on the ball? Whenever so you get your high, whatever it is, like it might get you high off one hit or it might get you high off of a joint, whatever it gets you to that point where you're like, OK, I feel high or medicated substantially you feel the effect and then from that point what would you guess i guess how long is it going to last for you before you have to feel like oh i need to smoke again or i'm not feeling the effects anymore super metabolically contextual isn't it mm -hmm. it's yeah it's so contextual because oftentimes my first average. instinct in that is to be like oh wow this feels good i'm gonna smoke some more <laughs> what you do is you sleep deprive yourself you don't eat um you know, you do all these other things and then you smoke and then everything's just so much more intense because you've just wrecked your body and, uh, you know, made yourself super sensitive. That's what you do, apparently. Yeah. And then, um, you know, maybe you might see some interesting insight. Or take care of yourself, <laughs> drink lots of water, eat healthy and be self-aware. And then you could feel all of the effects of this beautiful cannabis plant. Or if you have a bunch maybe. of medical medical ailments, maybe they treat you. So like, oh, my arthritis is really acting up. So I need to smoke a little bit more every 45 minutes or an hour or two hours. Maybe everybody's use is different than my own, but I'm just curious if Spartan Grown, what do you think? Uh, yeah, you can average, give me a range. I don't care if you say 10 minutes to 10 or, hours, something. I'd say on average, man, uh, I mean, it's going to take me a lot to smoke to get high, but but once I get high, it's going to be, I usually it's going to be high for around an hour, I would say. On, on most strains there's there's other strains yeah, that stand out. there's other strains that stand yeah. out and it's usually the strains that are creepers usually the ones that you know you stop smoking and you keep getting higher and higher and higher those are the ones that tend to last longer too for me but it's usually around an hour i would say before it's kind of wore off I'll tell you what i was hot for six hours i eat like it was probably like three grams of straight hash. I mixed it in my hot chocolate. That's different, I got on the man. Plane. Eating stuff is different. That's yeah, yeah. Way yeah, I've been high for a day plane. eating I'm edibles. fucking high the whole way home on that plane ride. I'll tell you what, my cookies that I make, there's something in the process or in my process that it's a stronger high than RSO. It's, I don't know. Is there chocolate? What? Yeah, there's chocolate in there. Yeah, That might be it alone, the chocolate alone. Because I... I Tavis told me about them and I looked into them. There's studies that show the chocolate and then also fats yep. help it uptake into your blood better. So yeah, like, I've taken RSO, similar dose. 
I use the extra uh, fat butter fat. So it's like, and you use lessons and lessons yeah, less too. Less. Yeah. Not you like the sunflower, sunflower right? Yeah. Yeah. I have, a, it takes me like a week to make cookies because it's a whole long fucking process of, that I've put together over time that it's killer. It, it keeps the flavor down to where it tastes good still, but um, potency, like I, I'll get you a little cookie that's this big that most people scoff at. And then after, after about an hour, they're no longer scoffing at it. I love those things. So do I. <laughs> it's definitely, I think, for a lot of heavy smokers, going to be the way to go for longer duration medication. Because like you mentioned, it's actually tough to get stoned or high or medicated off of just smoking flour alone. Maybe you'll have to dab or maybe uh, you'll have to take an edible to get to that fully you know, comfortable state wherever you want to be. Um, I think that about an hour, sometimes 45 minutes for a lot of like the, I would call them like modern strains, like a lot of the cookies, a lot of the crosses of that dosy dose and all that stuff to me, it's like 30 to 45 minutes of like really good. I'm feeling it. And then after that, it's like, I'm coming down hard for that last 15 minutes, maybe an hour it's lasting, but then there's other stuff I'll feel two and three hours in. I'm still feeling really good. One, uh, literally today I felt for four hours and it was a uh, sun grown. I wish I could pull the i'll let you guys know next week when i go out and look at the bag or whatever but my wife i find that that's a common um denominator for me too is sun-grown tends when i get a long-lasting one it, a lot of times is something that i did from outdoor it was some outdoor strain uh, something about that i think so are we talking about like still being like really high or just like no i'm totally sober like I, I, you know, like at what point of the come down? Because it'll take a, a few hours after I smoke pretty much anything to feel like I'm, I'm like totally unmedicated at this point. Um, but like the peak and sort of the different coming down off of it, I think it definitely makes a difference between strains. So. Yeah, I would agree 100% on that. Um, I, I'm mainly focused on like where you're prominently feeling the full effects of it. Like the lingering effects, I think sometimes are, are nice, but they might not be able to like, if you have serious pain, for example, they might not right. be enough to help you get through. Um, but they but might see, I think attitude. that that's, that's unrelated. It depends on sort of your personal experience with cannabis and the pathway of your relief, I think. But like the duration of relief for like arthritis symptoms and stuff like that, um, I would suspect it would be very different than sort of the the duration of the the high itself, like sort of the the psychos the psychological experience of it. Um, and now, to some people, treatment the treatment path may be through the psychological experience, right? Like having that psychological experience of being high is what sort of alleviates their anxiety or other things like that. I don't think that's usually the case with arthritis, though. Uh, I think that's a different sort of cannabinoid receptor. I think uh, pain can definitely be related to like emotional things though. Yeah. Um, so it helps a lot of people either not feel the pain or deal with the pain if they can alleviate the mental stresses and anxieties. Yeah. And sometimes even the anxiety, like um, they'll hold knots, their body literally tenses up in certain areas because of the stress. And when they get massages, sometimes people will start like crying when they, release yeah. those knots and they don't know why but it's just like all that tension is literally being released and like all that stuff that they built up in their body letting go of it um but i do agree like as somebody who has arthritis and also i benefit from the psychological effects of cannabis so it's hard for me to exactly describe because 
the arthritis related effects might last three or four hours, but the actual psychological effect might only be one hour or two hours. So it depends on what you're using it for. Yeah. And, if you're taking you know, like CBD doses, I would expect that your relief would probably last 24 hours from, for arthritis. If that's sort of your, your pathway. Have um, you guys. Yeah. I, I thought you were done with that. Sorry. Hey, go ahead. I was just going to say, have you guys experienced like where you're sitting on the couch inside and you smoke a joint with your buddies, maybe two, maybe three, and then you get up and you walk outside. And when you walk outside, you're like, wow, man, I'm fucking stoned. I didn't think I was this high. Yes. But while I'm camera, this, you, uh, this is how you do it, man. 100%. It gets when you're cooking. But yeah, what do you think that happens there with that phenomenon? I'm always So you, you, you stand up. Right. Oh yeah, you stand like, up or go to a different all of that blood, you know, flow. changes. Yeah. And um, you know, also oh. your spatial awareness. There's so many, we just talked about like calculations mm. to figure out light. Like there's so many things going on in your head that your body is like constantly keeping balance. And uh you just mm. you know, it's like when you're you're on your computer and you're like, um, you know, let me do this highly, you know, energy intensive process on my computer, like make a video or something. And the, the fans start spinning and, you know, calculations start happening and your body's like, whoa, um, you yeah. know, slow down, man. Uh, <laughs> basically, that's my scientific opinion. Yeah, no, that, that. That's definitely a phenomenon. Although I, I, I tell you, I can't. So many times I'll be fine, like with my buddies or whatever, talking, hanging out, and then I'll have to like walk into a convenience store and talk to a clerk and I'll just like <laughs> free. I mean, I can't form coherent sentences at that point, right? I can't like say like, you know, anything. I'm just like, I get tongue twied. I'm like, wow, where did that come from? I was like lucid two seconds ago. That's hilarious. Doc. It's like the principal walks in when you guys. Just yeah, no, story. it is. <laughs> It's, it's like, like there's like this you thing. On? Oh, pump wait where am i who's talking to me like what the... i'm at a gas it's station like, Shit. yeah like ah! it's like you go into like a fugue state and then like you come out of it and you're like huh oh yeah that's right or like you know similar to like if you're driving a car you've had that feeling where you're you sort of zone out but not really you know uh um, highway hypnosis in psychology yes you are yeah, still right. focusing but like i was just going to go into the set and setting and i was actually going to use dr driving as an example because a lot of people won't admit it but they use cannabis and drive all right because it's a dui or ovi depending on the state that you're in but a lot of people do it although you're not supposed to i understand um but set and setting if you're if you're at home on your couch smoking joints like Tao's talking about you're in that set and setting all the time you're familiar with it you're comfortable there there's probably not a whole lot of anxiety hopefully for it, if you're in a good home that you are comfortable. You can sit there and smoke joints. You're with your buddies. You don't have shit to worry about. You go outside. Now you're in the real fucking world. Like if you're a towel, you're in, like, say you're in New York city, that's like a hectic, stressful, a lot of shit happening lifestyle. You're gonna be like, Oh my God, look at all the shit going on. Cars flying by the sounds. Yeah. Okay. Mr. Ohio. Yeah. We're Midwest. We'd go out in the middle of the woods and fucking <laughs> run away from deer thinking that it's cops chasing us, but <laughs> that actually happened. So, but yeah, the set and setting, I think with any psychedelic or hallucinogen, which cannabis technically falls under that category. And if you smoke a really, really, really trippy sativa, I think you'll understand that categorization. Um, it can also just be like an anti-inflammatory. So there's a lot of, uh, some people call it like a dirty drug because it works on a bunch of different things. It's not a specific targeted thing, but I think that is what makes it so beautiful. It can treat so many different things and so many people like it for that reason. Uh, but the set and setting is something a lot of people underestimate. I think like if you're like I think somebody said the principal earlier, that was another experience. I smoked a bunch before we went and watched like a high school volleyball game when I was in high school to go support the ladies or whatever, walked in, 
vice principal is sitting right at the fucking uh, front door. And this was back in like the skunk days. So it, we smelled like fucking skunk and our eyes were red as shit. And he was kind of a cool dude actually, but he knew we smelled like weed and he's like, y'all smell like fucking weed. Like you either got to go sit over there, like where no one can smell you or get the fuck out of here. Cause I'm not going <laughs> to get in trouble for you guys like hanging around and probably having a shit on you. And some of us did. So he was right. And we respectfully went peacefully and, you know, sat in a little different section by ourselves, but one of those things. Yeah. It, it can definitely throw you for a loop. Like I used to come home and my mom would always ask me like, are you high? And my answer if I was high would always be no, because you never admit to being high if you're high. But if I was sober, she'd ask me, are you high? And I'd be like really fucked up by it. Kind of like uh, Coco was saying earlier, like when you're out in public, like sometimes it just throws you, you're not expecting that interaction, especially like if you're not high, you're being accused of something that you're not doing. So it uh, definitely throw you off your track, but I'm getting off track. And uh, I want to talk more about the cultivation side of these things and talking about strains, Spartan mentored creepers, things that hit them later and, and tend to linger longer and longer. So I want to get into maybe talking about a little bit of those strains and maybe how to cultivate them them longer, uh, maybe harvesting them earlier. Some people say that's more of a head rush, but Spartan, what are some of the creepers that you remember and have uh, tried lately? The one that I would say was the worst for me was uh, Vortex. And that's why I'm excited to be growing and breeding that right now. So when I get those, uh, hopefully I get a bunch of seeds out of that deal so I can hunt some and have a nice vortex. I've got two females anyway, so I'm going, I've already got clones rooted of the females. Then I'm going to run them through my flower and flower them out and pick one of the two to keep. And I have two males rooted. And so I'll have to pick one of those. I've got my eye on one that I'd like better between the two right now already in the flower room. And they're both dumping like crazy in there already. It's just fucking, it looks like at first, you know, at first, because I'm a new breeder, I look in there, I'm like, oh shit, do I get PM in there? <laughs> it is no, it's fucking piles of pollen all over the leaves. So that was a cool experience. But Vortex, it was for me. And it was an outdoor grown Vortex. We grew it outdoor the first time. And uh, it was that super lemony terps. And I was smoking it and smoking. I was smoking a joint. And I was like, after that first joint, I was like, man, this tastes really good. I love the flavor on it. But I was like, but it doesn't really get me that high. Oh, well, I guess I'll smoke another one. So I'm halfway through that second joint and the fucking room is spinning around me. And I'm like, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> so like you're saying that more sativa like high where uh, it's all like mostly in your head. But uh, yeah, there, there was no there's no wall. I couldn't just keep smoking and, and and not get higher. It just seems like it kept I kept getting higher and higher and higher. And Vortex is a little standout-ish because of that creeperness. So you know, the room's spinning, so you put down the joint, but you've already done the damage by smoking half of it. You know, it hasn't hit you yet, so it keeps building past that. And, uh, man, I almost lost my lunch on that one. So that, that was, that was uh, not one that you usually experience. So, yeah. That's vortex. a wild one. I, I got to shout out Subcool, rest in peace. He made the Vortex, and it's a very potent one. I had Jack the Ripper had a similar experience as like a sort of no ceiling high. I kept smoking. It kept getting higher and to the point where like my heart started racing and like I've never had an anxiety attack or panic attack my whole life. And it was like one of those moments where I had to remind myself like, oh, I just smoked a lot of like really hot upper sativa. Like you just got to calm down. You're fine. Take a deep breath. You'll be okay. Get through this. But uh, I could definitely see it putting some people over the top. And that lasted like three or four hours along with Cinderella 99. Got to shout them out. They kind of uh, share some lineages there. But I wanted to pass it over to Noah the Roa, who jumped in a little bit late with us. We're talking about strains that get you stoned for a really long time. And I'm curious, Noah, uh, what's the strain that's gotten you like high the longest? And, and what's like the average amount of time that uh, Bud will kind of get you nice and stoned for? Um, I'd say probably like, um, you know, 
hour and a half, two hours. I mean, you can, you can last longer, you know, it just depends, you know, but the, the initials usually about an hour and a half, two hours for me. But I know that the ones that got me creeper stone restraints that I used to smoke back in the day, I don't really, you know, I haven't noticed as much, but sometimes, you know, I mean, everybody's been smoking and then just you go out in some public and you're like, Whoa, I'm way more stoned than I thought I was. But no, I think it would be like Alaska Thunderfuck and like Brandy Purple. Those kind of old school strains were kind of the ones that um, I just remember. Like, I remember like a, like a G13, you know, but who knows? The lineage is really it's just what people would tell you back in, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But yeah, I would say those ones. So some of that old school stuff, I think definitely had some more staying power. Um, and I used to question the lineages a lot more back then because it felt like, you know, because things were so. Uh, unregulated and illegal or whatever it was hard to ever have verification people couldn't just come out in public and say it but like looking back now and like seeing all the documentation and then breeders coming out and saying like yeah i was doing this work then all that now a lot of it actually does line up going back to like a lot of these claims and maybe we did actually have the stuff that people were claiming that they had which is an interesting thought um kind of another thought on the point of how high do you stay long for like something i've kind of noticed for a while is my high will kind of go up 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 and then i'll get to a point where like i've at least for that strain like i hit a ceiling and then if I smoke more, I'll stay high for a longer period of time, but I'll be at that same level or like lower, right? So I'm not going to get any higher, but like Vortex or Jack the Ripper, uh, Chernobyl were a few that broke that paradigm for me. So instead of like getting up, up, up and then flattening out, it just kept going up, 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 up. And it was like, how comfortable do you feel continuing on this journey? Like how, how stoned can you actually get yourself? And that was a, I think it might be Absolutely. THCV if I had to guess, because I think that's commonly found in all of those strains, but really interesting the difference and like a lot of for so long so many people told me like all the cannabis is the same and then when you start experiencing stuff like that you're like no this is clearly different so and mtf monitor yeah. mtf is some it's, fire ass shit too uh but i'll pass it to Tad. it never ceases it never ceases to amaze me how different the tastes can be the high can be and that's why whenever that's why well i think that's why well that's why i start seeds even though i have shit that i love yeah, you know, I always look for something different, and then, and that's what affects you most when you get something different that that is different from what you had all the times before. And that's why, like, when that shit pops up, that's what I love and hold on to. And uh, but I was gonna say, have you got? What do you think of this theory? Uh, I don't know if it was me or someone else who told me about it, but it's in my head now. Like, the longer you leave a plant in, plant and flower, instead of killing it at, or cutting it down at eight weeks, you leave it ten weeks, it'll give you a longer high. When you smoke it, I don't know if that has. I think there is something. Could be strain dependent, or if it's you know, it could be. It's a cannabinoid thing. predominantly. Yeah. If you look at the testing, like week six, week seven, week eight, so you'll be at like a, let's say a strain will hit a thirty percent THC. Week six it might be seventeen. Week seven it might be twenty. Week eight it might be twenty five. And week nine it might be twenty eight point five or whatever. And week ten it's thirty. Right. And that's. That makes sense. It's going along with also terpenes come at the very end for the most part. I mean, close, close to the mid and later stages, the ones that are actually going to stick around. A lot of the stuff that you're smelling on the plant will actually like grow and volatize. It's not going to be captured within a trichome. If you're smelling it, it's gone. It's off the plant. So um, along with that, I think that there is definitely strain tolerance to agree with how, like if you literally just grew one strain your entire life and only smoked that one strain, I think instead of uh, 0.5 getting you nice and medicated it might take you one or two grams to get medicated off of it. Where if you switched up the strain each day or just relatively often, I don't think your body has a, as much time to sort of get used to it or even just the feeling like the psychological effect. Like if you're using the same one over and over and over, that becomes like your norm. That's how you sort of feel. 
is the whatever that strain has of an impact on you is what you get used to. And even though it might have a grand effect on you, like Noah uh, mentioned, and he didn't even hear before he came in, somebody else, the Tao mentioned sitting on the couch, smoking a bunch. And then when you go out, you're like, holy shit, I'm way more stoned than I thought. <laughs> so that uh, change of pace can definitely throw you for a loop. I haven't given a chance to Dr. MJ though, to ask uh, what are some of the strains that had some more staying power with the high that you've been able to try in uh, your growing or smoking experience so far? Staying power particularly, I mean, that's just not, that's not one that I, I measure for or sort of recall as much as, you know, the, the qual other qualities of the high. Um, and so I'm, I'm not sure if I'm even gonna like sort of pull them out right. Um, I will say that I think the, I mean, it depends on what you're thinking. You know, during the day, a good sativa that, that sort of puts me in a, in a good space, I'll stay in that space for hours after that. Um, and at night, you know, like a, a good sort of heavy stone, um, I guess that probably doesn't last as long because I was about to say that I thought that, you know, the, the heavier stains, but I'm not even sure that that's true. It's got me thinking in, in ways about my sort of experience being high that I haven't thought a lot about before. Um, but I think so much of the experience that we have when we consume cannabis affects like our mood and where we are, the, the context stuff that you're talking about, Jack um affects sort of the the type of high that we have and how we're gonna sort of respond to it in the first place and i think that that has probably as big of an effect in like the time of day that you do it like who's with you if you're by yourself what you gotta do after that you know from hanging out with somebody that like harshes my vibe right maybe i'll be like um sober 10 15 minutes be like damn i need to smoke another bowl like like <laughs> 10 minutes ago right um but if we're, we're so it depends on the activity that you're probably doing but I, i'm tempted to just start reeling off sort of like my favorite strains when i'm thinking about the ones that lasted the longest and i'm like is that really true is that did they last the longest or are you just do you just like them and you always sort of go to that well when you're asked about sort of what your favorite strain was so i don't know i'll, I'll have more on this for you later because i'll start i'll start start taking better notes on on duration of high when I was a lowly, broke college student, and yeah. I could only scrounge up a few bucks for a little bit of weed each week, I would yeah, take yeah. diligent fucking notes in these journals. This strain does this. This strain does that. This one lasts this long. This one tastes like that. That's how 50 strains of green came to be. I went back through those notes, and I was like, oh, this is super easy. I could just go. This is what that experience was like. I have it all written out, how it yeah. smelled, how it tasted, how it looked. And so I had that at that time, but like when I was like sort of an undergrad on a limited budget and sort of, you know, having to really meter out my, my bud like that, I was buying it black market from dealers that, I mean, I was in humble for a part of that, but so it was like good supply, but we still didn't really generally have like selections. We went with sort of what was available more than being able to go into a dispensary and be like, okay, these are like the 15 varieties that you guys have or whatever. Um, and, and I guess in that context, I, I would know better. For me, it was always, when I was really limited, it was always about waiting to start. You know, I wouldn't want to come down. 
So I, if I only had like a few balls that I could smoke that day, I'd wait until the evening to, to smoke the first one and stay high the rest of the night, whatever, until I could, until I wake up or sorry, go to sleep. I got distracted by Spartan. It's okay. It looks like he's doing uh, Han Solo live resin, I think. And uh, that's a good strain. It's related to the Donnie Burger, which is one of my favorites. Shout out to Skunk House Genetics with some potent stuff. While he heats up that dab, I want to pass it to Matthew and ask if uh, you can rattle off any, maybe off the top of your head, that uh, remind you of a time where you felt like you were high for a really long time or some a strain that had a little bit of staying power. You know, I feel like the topic in general, um, and I, I agree with Doc because I, in the way that like uh, not a huge thing to record because I think it can be really fuzzy. And, um, you know, like we already said, and we've talked about many times in the past that like your set and your setting is very important your state of mind, right? Like you mentioned, Jack, what you're eating, um, how you're sleeping, all these things are, are major factors, but also your genetic uh, <laughs> makeup is a huge part of that as well. Um, I'm reminded that, now to answer your question, um, I was at the, uh, the Fellowship of the Green Resistance uh, theme for the Skunk Magazine event. That was yesterday in LA and um, I met Edgar, which a lot of people know as uh, Masonic, and um, he he gave me some um, grape gas hash that was, uh, <laughs> it worked for a very long time, and uh, it was at low temp, and it was, it was a pretty pleasant experience, um, so that's a pretty recent uh, circumstance, and that probably, I actually timed myself, it's funny, I was like, um, you know, I think probably I felt like I was at a pretty good um, click at uh, like an eight, you know, or seven or an eight for like two hours, two and a half hours. That's several like people. I was just going to say, I think dabs actually have even less staying power than flour for me. Like, I think it would go like edibles for me, flour and then dabs, because I feel like dabs are like a, it's almost like a vodka shot. It's like a violent rip up. And then it lasts like a bit and then it comes down a little quicker for me, but I think have it, two hour and it really is so strain dependent and, and individual. Like you said, uh, I think doc really hit a good point on the mood. If somebody harshes your buzz, like yeah. you want to smoke more, I'm like, Oh fuck. Or like, you know, just whatever it is. But, uh, most of us, probably, who I you're with is say, probably my biggest thing on this, you know? Yeah. I'll never forget. Um, you, you know, a lot of people think of CBD as something to like relax you, but actually, at least according to, um, I think it was Ethan Rousseau, I want to say, I think I mentioned it earlier, but like, it's actually a stimulant, <laughs> believe in, in it or not. In certain doses, I think. I think the dose. No, it, just generally. Oh, okay. I thought it, it was like a lower dose. It's a stimulant, but a higher dose. It was a relaxant. Oh, you know what? Now that you've said that, maybe I am wrong there. And maybe there is a dose of pens. But what I do remember is that, um, well, just because it had like, and, and here, I think it's, well, I, I actually want to not misquote him. Um, he's got a great, there's a great video from Cornell um, on like, on the, on the court, on one of Cornell's channels. I don't remember which one, but I definitely mentioned it before. Uh, maybe I'll find it and I'll put it in the chat for everyone. But uh, in that presentation, he goes over a lot about the cannabinoids and their pharmacology. And, um, you know, a big part of it is uh, sort of your, your genetic makeup and, and, and that sort of a thing. But it's also important to know what those dynamics are in the body. Like, for example, in your liver, or like we've often talked about with warfarin or if you're taking medication, 
you know, that kind of thing can definitely affect you and definitely make things last longer because you've got those enzymes in your liver and other parts of your body that are um, trying to break that down. But if you make those factors less effective, well, then you have essentially made it last longer in your body. And that could be one of the results, um, you know, kind of like uh, with alcohol. I think there's examples of that kind of thing going on other substances. So anyways, I'm going to go search for that in the chat. Perfect. I was going to say alcohol is actually kind of an interesting example because it's classically defined and it is just a depressant. It lowers your heart rate. But I think Doc gave me this example a long, long time ago when we talked about like set and setting that there are alcohol as a depressant. Yeah, it can lower your heart rate. But then like depending on your what you're going to do, like a b- bunch of guys that are going out to party that might make them more elevated and like escalated. Their heart rate can be going up when they're drinking and they can like yeah. rage, so to speak, versus if you're just having a beer or two at night before you go to bed it's a completely different scenario. So although it's the same beverage uh, and it's classically defined as a depressant by pharmacology. They've it, done, that was a situation too. And they've done studies on that and that actually affects people in like the same thing, like the same glass of wine or the same, you know, cocktail or whatever affects people in measurably different ways in their body chemistry based on sort of the mood that they were in and their expectations about what they're doing. I want to yeah. say that was one of my assessments of exceptional cannabis is if you smoke a joint of it, no matter what the situation is, you're going to be stoned. Like no matter what, that's when I know it's good. You know, no matter what's happening and you're just like, wow, I am fucking high. It's like an instant head change. I've heard people say that head change. Like you smoke it and like one hit can just take you away from all the stress and bullshit. If you're having a bad day or even if you're having a good day, you're like, Ooh, damn, this is some good ass weed. I'm about to hang out with the homies. Like fucking just, it, it can turn anything around. And like you just said very well, Tao, I think it, that's, that's a great sign of some absolutely fantastic cannabis. It transports you almost to a different place. I think yeah, like the alcohol example, if you drink a fifth of whiskey, it's going to put you flat on your ass, no matter what you thought you were going to be doing for the rest of the day, right? Like doing a little (laughs) of something, maybe you can affect it. But if you get like a a huge dose, it's going to pound you. I think mixing substances like that, though, is another thing that um, can be explored with cannabis to to affect the high. Like I know caffeine affects the fucking high and I like it. Um, I know alcohol affects the high too with uh, cannabis and I, I found that I, I can drink far less alcohol than I, than I could without the cannabis in my system. Um, so it's like at an enhancing effect, you know, both yeah, ways. Yeah, the order too. I have a I theory on the order for that one, because yeah. if you start drinking first and then you and smoke then later, smoke, you can, you're cool, fine. But if you start smoking a bunch first and then you try and drink, yeah, I feel like it's that. almost your body is like, man, you don't really this you could just keep smoking weed you'll be fine but if you drink the booze you're you're like lowering your inhibition which is literally something alcohol does so you're like ah fuck it i'll just keep on drinking and then like when you start smoking you're like fuck it i'll be smoking and drinking some people can't really handle it they call it like crossfaded when i moved out here to california and some people literally just vomit they're like i can't smoke and drink at the same time i will throw up no matter what i've seen that i think when you're when you're drinking you know it's already an insult to your body and like adding cannabis to that your body's like okay this is good this is a good idea keep doing more of this but when you're smoking cannabis and then you start drinking your body's like you said jack yeah no you, you were good before you don't need this other stuff it's fine and i know people out there that enjoy alcohol and uh i'm, I'm supportive of everybody's choices or whatever and it's just not for me personally i don't drink super often pretty pretty rare at this point because i have such access to cannabis that like you guys mentioned 
duration doesn't really matter as much because I can just, if I start to come down, I can carry one of these little pens around and start puffing on it. If I'm out and about, or if I'm home, I can smoke as much as I want, whenever I want morning, noon or night. So uh, it doesn't necessarily matter. And like RSO, I think kind of it's like your, your example of the fifth of whiskey, unless you're like a full one alcoholic, a fifth of whiskey is probably going to put you out, knock you out flat on your face, unconscious, maybe have alcohol poisoning, depending on your weight where RSO, if you take a rice grain, maybe you'll get super stoned if you've never tried it before. Maybe you won't feel it at all. If you have a super high tolerance, then if you take like half a gram, you're going to be feeling good. I don't care like what your tolerance is. Take a full gram. You're going to be feeling real good. And you might just pass the fuck out for like hours. And maybe that's what your body needs at the time. Like I've heard like an overdose of cannabis is a good nap. Um, but yeah, no one's ever, ever actually died from using too much. Like the only way to die is if like a ton of it fell on you or something. Uh, but, and, and I also, I guess mold, but that the aside, cops shoot you or something. Yeah, the cops shoot you for it, or somebody robs you for it. Yeah, those are all not really necessarily the cannabis's fault, but tangentially. God only knows what paraquat and the DTEs I smoked in the day. I'm still here, boys. Paraquat, that that one really confuses me because they sprayed a lot of it, and from the reports of what it's supposed to do, like that shit can paralyze you. Like the fact that so many people used cannabis during that era and and were not more radically fucked up is probably a yeah, testament I to cannabis the, but what the half-life is and the transport they had it in probably like the, the you know the hull of a ship where it's stupid hot it probably deteriorated some of the nasties i don't know though but yeah that's messed up that they even allowed that to go to happen do you know anything about the paraquat matthew it's real bad but like half-lives and stuff i feel like is it something that goes away or i, I from my I mean song, i feel like it's pretty it's stupid. like it's a, it's a pretty that was not what i expected okay. as a matthew answer that was <laughs> that was a me answer that wasn't a matthew answer <laughs> there's no there's no need for elaboration in this i'm brevity is wit right like it's really bad there's it's nasty no shit beneficial Less. reason to use it yeah uh, it's gone rain, right? From that guy and Family Guy. Ollie, from, uh, uh, Family Guy, <laughs> the weatherman. Oliver, it's Oliver. raining sideways. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, Ollie. Ollie, yes, yes. Uh, what do I want to say about that? Well, basically, so it is like so. so it's systemic, and it um, it has a, a very long residence time in the tissues. Now these compounds, they can't eventually over time, they get metabolized out. And I don't really know the process for paraquat. And to be honest, I don't really understand what those processes are for a lot of those really um, pernicious compounds. Uh, but, you know, it is true that eventually it wears out. It is not in the, the plant any longer. Um, and, you know, since, I'm, since you got me talking about it, I just want to say like, you can't like estimate that very well. Um, more than I would have liked, I've interacted with people who play the gambling game of like, you know, if I spray it with some imidacloprid or something, you know, or if I apply some other sort of compound, you know, I know that it stays in there, but eventually it leaves. So if I just like, you know, leave it and it's never for a time that I would even, I mean, I'm not comfortable at all doing this, but it's never for a time that I would even think would be remotely close to what that time would be uh, before they start like flowering or whatever. Um, you know, but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not something you want to be tussling with. First of all, you're, you're not testing for it anyways, to make sure that you're right. You're just, you know, your sources, trust me, bro. And that's never good enough for that kind of a thing. Other things maybe, but not this. That was all we had for so long. It was trust me, bro. And, uh, Akron Gardner, who's a fellow, uh, I'm a former Ohioan, but he's from roughly where I'm at. 
uh, Cleveland Akron area. I was like in between. And uh, like you said, back in the day, you got weed and weed was weed. It was called weed. He said, I would pencil down notes and it says, this one is weed. And I also got some more weed today. And I, I got, got another bag of weed, but, and there was no name. So I do recall what it was like in my <laughs> days in Ohio when maybe the most you could find out is it was Beasters. And then 20 years later, you found out Beasters is some British Columbia shit that they were dry sifting before they sold it to dumb, you know, middle and high school kids in America somewhere. So um, we got a good question from... Rowdy420, thank you, Tao, for copying it over into the Zoom. They say, Cheap Home Grow, we've talked about this one, but um, in the past. What do you think about buying and adding terpenes back into concentrates? I bought some concentrate from the dispo and it said it had terpenes added back. Personally, like, not to beat the drum, but grow your own, don't have to worry about the shit. You can extract your own and it should taste and smell good enough that you don't have to worry about adding the stuff back in. It does happen. Um, I'm not a chemist, so I can't say is alpha pinene from a pine tree the same exact thing as alpha pinene from a cannabis plant. And does it matter if you know you extract it, separate it, and then put it back into the same jar? I think a lot of the cannabis people are going to feel really weird about that. And um, it's being sold at lower dollar denominations is something that I should say. It's like my wife works at a delivery service here, and CDTs are cannabis derived terpenes. Those sell for higher. So if you get a, a vape cart and it has CDTs, cannabis derived terpenes with distillate it's going to cost more than just distillate with whatever terpenes added back in. And then there's another level of that. It goes from like distillate with whatever terpenes, then distillate with cannabis derived terpenes. And then you've got live resin and then you've got live rosin. So those are like, in my opinion, like the four tiers of the uh, concentrate tower and the top two are typically not going to have any terpenes added back in. Um, so you're talking mostly lower tier. I think this brand actually gelato uh, adds back terpenes and I'm buffing on it. It tastes good, but that being said, it's not my primary source of medication. It's just a little, this is something to puff under in the show because it tastes good and has a little bit of THC and some terpenes and minor cannabinoids in there. But um, I know that a lot of people really hate that. So I'll pass it around to the panel and guess like Spartan, what do you think about adding terpenes back into concentrate that are not from cannabis? I mean, if you're asking my personal opinion, I don't want it. I, I'm a big fan of just trying to leave it the way the plant's got it figured out for us already. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there'll be studies when we to figure this stuff out later, but I'm not one to to be the lab rat. I'm not a fan of that kind of aspect of things. And I am I'm more cautious on these types of things because I know the process. So the process is distillate, you know, you're you're distilling these things down to get the different terpenes and the cannabinoids. And usually the product that goes to distillate is the worst product on the market. That's why it's going to distillate. So Yes, the, the process of distillation is cleaning that up, but I still kind of believe the old adage of, you know, shit in, shit out, gold, you know, gold in, gold out kind of a thing. So if, if nothing else, this is the, the, the crude oil kind of market uh, in the industry. And so because the value, the end value isn't as high as some of the other products in the industry, I don't feel that quality standards are as high either. So that's why I, I'm not saying that the final product is or something chemically is completely wrong about it, but for those reasons, it makes me suspicious of it in the industry. And um, that's why I would avoid them. Uh, I'm a big fan of just uh, staying with the, the product, you know, in, in one piece. Uh, my concentrates, are, if I'm messing with concentrates, I'm okay with like a, an extraction with BHO or, or, uh, 
or really anything that you can get in the dispensary that's testing for for um, at least you know your microbials and your uh, fungal you know fungal especially things like that. And as long as I can see a clean test, I mean, I think you're you're good to go to try it. But uh, just keep in mind when you're running through distillate products, that's probably low end crude oil that they're they're using to make that. Definitely a good point. I, I agree with that. I, I feel like, oh, you want to go first, Jack? No, no, I was, I was just agreeing and, and saying a uh, good point. And I was going to, I guess, add that California also tests for heavy metals, molds, and all that good stuff. So like if you did get a distillate product like this, you don't necessarily have to worry like, oh, is there powdery mildew or something still in there? Um, they're trying to at least test to ensure that that's not going to be happening. If you get it from the legal market through a dispensary. Yeah. I mean, Which, I kind of... I feel similar to, to Spartan on the subject of like, I'm sure there's a good way you could do it. Right. I know, I know for a fact there is, I'm not, uh, I don't want to be, uh, I want to say it correctly, you know, but at the same time, you don't know what you're getting necessarily. And, um, you know, as, and also I'm not a biochemist or anything like that. Um, I don't necessarily agree with the sort of essentialist thought that like, because the compound came from this plant, it is necessarily going to be better or different or have like some sort of qualia that like, you know, could never be replicated anywhere else. Um, I, I don't feel like that's a very scientific like perspective about it. Um, there might be other reasons why you might feel that way that are that are valid. You know, I'm not going to tell somebody that's in, that's invalid to want to get something just from the the plant for a lot of the logistical reasons that Spartan just outlined. Um, but yeah, if it's if it's all kind of following the product and that sort of a thing and streamlined, I feel like that's just kind of more preferable. And I think most people like that more. Um, but I'm open to the possibility that somebody could sort of enhance in, in some way, um, you know, the product, but like it does, it, it does sort of like become a question of how are they doing that? And, um, you know, are you, are you using quality products to do that and, and, and inputs and, uh, and processes? All right. I want to throw in my two cents. Uh, non-cannabis derived terpenes is sacrilege and blasphemy and even separating it all out is sacrilege and blasphemy i'm with spartan on the 100 if you go full spectrum from the same plant extracted all together that's what you want when they when they take this distillate and then we'll say oh we'll add some uh myrcene we'll add some limonene what are the ratios that they're adding and 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 who says that that's like healthy for you because when the plant is grown in the ground and it's the way it's been made for thousands of years, that's what you want. That's but it's not case. for you then either, though. Everything's for me, Spawn. Don't you, I mean, uh, Matthew, you <laughs> the thank you for the compliment. The they have been bred for us by humans who've been cultivating them for years to kind of steer their direction a little bit. But at no, the same time, I'm, that's why alcohol is so good for you, right, Jack? No, I'm exaggerating I mean, I'm a little that bit, but yeah, necessarily. Poison, there's poison in nature, but I, I was going to say. How, well, you might know, Jack. Like, how do they know what, what ratios of terpenes to throw back in the distillate? Well, how, it's how experimentation. I mean, I, I agree with pretty much everybody's sort of stance on this, but, you know, I don't think they're going to overdose on limonene or something. I mean, how much limonene do they put in your lemon candy? Um, yeah, and and thinking true, along too. those lines, right, here's the thing. Or, 
or can your I, grape candy. Can I say you know, something like, What are the different chemicals? And what we're talking about here is just artificially flavored cannabis. I mean, to the extent that I think yeah. we probably all <laughs> turn our thumbs 100%. or turn our noses up to artificially flavored, like most things, um, and would agree that it's an inferior than sort of a naturally flavored product, right? Do you want to get like an artificially blueberry favored something, or do you want to get something that actually has blueberries in it, right? Like, I think that this is sort of a broader conversation. So it almost, I would say, goes without saying that, yeah, getting your your cannabis derived from cannabis would be better than that from our perspective, at least in terms of to the same extent that you'd think like real blueberries were better than like blueberry flavored candy. Well, I yeah, and that's that sensory subject. Sorry, Jack. I just want <laughs> I just want to say okay. this: the, the 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 point about adding stuff like flavors and, and that sort of a thing, like for me, I don't like I I grew up on on having exposure to some of that as well, and uh, like in candies and things and, and sour stuff. I really like I still do. I love my salty, my sour vinegar, that kind of stuff, but. You know, if you do add a bunch of that stuff, will it be a health problem? Maybe not so much, but like it might really seriously disrupt your, uh, oh, will it seriously disrupt your kind of like sensory expectations for certain things? And uh, that's very delicate and uh, also fuzzy, like the other things we were talking about earlier, like our perception of a high or something. So that's something to consider. And uh, you don't know what it's like until you've manipulated that and maybe not get it back so yeah i definitely yeah. a word of caution so a word for... to say that there might be sort of synergistic relationships out there that we're unaware of that maybe you know combining cannabis with some other natural product or something like pine needles and grind that up for the alpha pinene or something maybe that would have you know a synergistic effect on the, the cannabis i mean i'd be willing to accept that but i don't think that's what's going on here right we're just trying to save money and getting cheaper sort of in yeah yeah it's a cheaper product but like you mentioned like matthew said earlier he he like some of those flavors from childhood for me like grape grape kool-aid yeah. this tastes like grape kool-aid it's artificial it's methylanthranolate it's an ester it was pumped into some distillate it does taste like grape candy to me so it's easy on the palate it's one of the cheaper products i actually got it for free my wife gets right. a ton of samples but i prefer whole plant it's natural ratios um, some terpenes are volatile. So like if you're adding too much of them back in for dabbing more, so it's dangerous at like six, 700 degrees. Some of them are actually harsh on your throat. They're caustic, like terpenes alone can strip paint. So like limonene at hundred percent, pure limonene can strip paint. So can piney. That's why I like uh, pledge and all these other, um, uh, pine salt. Those are mainly terpene derived cleaners. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, they're not necessarily safe to dab at the temperature. The one thing I want to say about terpenes generally is we see a categorization called GRAS, G-R-A-S, generally recognized as safe. That's for consuming, like you talked about. How much limonene can you put in a bar? You could probably eat a pound of limonene and you'll be fine. Smoking it at 700 degrees, though, is going to be different. So um, a lower temperature dab, I always recommend for people, know what temperature you're dabbing at, hopefully, um, especially if you're getting stuff that has terpenes added back in. But even the natural terpenes from cannabis are dangerous at those higher temperatures. So it's something to be aware of. And there are people that are allergic to certain terpenes, like limonene and linalool. There's been a study about those two in particular where people have severe allergic reactions. So like Spartans mentioned in certain grow rooms, he goes in and he literally like his arms, I think get hived up and he just can't necessarily stay in certain rooms for too long because his body doesn't react well to certain terpenes and volatiles. Um, I think the thing that really separates the two is 
when they test the cannabis, there's so many things like they say there's hundreds of cannabinoids, there's hundreds of terpenes. We're really finding out about like the top five or the top two or the top three, if they even give you that. Most stuff here, they're not required to tell you the terpenes. So like, you're really lucky if they give you like top one, two or three terpenes, but there's no flavonoids, there's no esters, aldehydes, ketones, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And I think we all kind of gravitate towards the cannabis because I think all those little minor things do add up to that entourage effect and um, ultimately give us like the best highs, but we can mix them. So like I can have a little bit of distillate with uh, artificial esters in there. And then I can go and smoke my velvet punch, which naturally has the grape ester in there and taste it and enjoy it. But uh, this is about the time of the show where I pass it over to Spartan and uh, give him his chance to get his final thoughts and shout outs in so uh, he can take care of his dogs before the Michigan Bros. Bro show. Thanks, Jack. Thanks everybody on the panel. It's another great show. This was a nice informative one. I think uh, chat really liked it from the feedback I saw in chat. Shout out to chat. Um, as far as yeah, that that topic, just to wrap up my point, my my view on it or whatever, I think the real key is to do what you're saying was uh, mix it up, mix it up, try try all of the different uh, methods and try, try them together and then find the combo that works best for you. Kind of like my approach with the, the RSO and the, and the full spectrum oil with, I get multiple different strains. So even if I was just smoking flour, smokes different strains instead of just the same strain the whole time you're sitting down. And I think it's going to be more effective than if you just smoke that one strain, because you're going to be exposed to more of the plant compounds. You know what I mean? A wider range of them anyway, if you've got different strains, especially if they're different from each other by a lot, like sativa, indica, whatever. Anyways, I'm going to get the hell out of here and go on the Michigan Rose Grow Show. And uh, just uh, everybody uh, keep growing. I think that's how we uh, that's how we win. Just keep fucking growing and uh, help each other out when, they, when we have to. And that's how we survive. So much love, everybody. Uh, growers love. And we'll catch you all next week. Cheers. Oh, groovy Spartan. Peace out, kid. <laughs> Peace. Later, man. Grower <laughs> love, Spartan. Absolutely great having you always, Spartan. Thank you. Well, Noah the Groa actually has not had a chance to jump in yet on the question there about adding terpenes back into concentrate, but I've actually seen now they're doing infused flour. So I guess I could even say, how do you feel about uh, some people? Like they used to do this a trick test back in the day. They'd sprinkle keef on there so that it would test higher. And now it's harder to do that because if you submit 10 pounds, they come and take random buds out of the 10 pounds and then test them, at least here in California. But Noah, in terms of like spiking your buds or, or uh, artificial flavoring in your cannabis or your concentrate, what's your thoughts on that? And uh, just general answer to that question. Pretty much echo a lot of the stuff Spartan was saying. Uh, I'm a, I've had health issues, so I'm kind of a health nut. So I, you know, I've tried to eat organic food. I try to eat whole food. I try to, and so I, would consume cannabis products the same way. Um, I enjoy being able to be a grower, growing my own, and um, knowing what I consume. Like Spartan said, most of the companies that I've talked to, that the distillate stuff is usually going to be stuff that they are having a tougher time sell. You know, also pre rolls. But yeah, I mean, if it, but like also he said, if it works for you, it works for you. You know, whatever. You know, and not everybody can afford you know, a hundred dollar bottle of wine, not everybody can grow, you know? So if that's what you can do, then do it, you know, do whatever is going to help you to get the medical benefits from the product that you're, you're smoking. So, you know, if that's what's helping you, I'm not opposed to it. So. Yeah, I respect that hundred percent. Everybody's at a kind of different price point and ability range and not everybody can grow as uh, unfortunate as that is to admit, I have come to that conclusion. I've met enough people that are in a situation where they just cannot no matter what. So it's nice when we can have caregiver systems or people out there who can educate maybe their friends or family and help them 
get access to good clean cannabis where possible. But the other thing is like, this does sort of provide a price point. I'm holding up again, a distillate with uh, some esters actually added back into it for flavoring. Um, for some people, I got it for free in this case, but like um, my wife tells me that most people that call the shop will ask for what's your highest THC still in 2022 in San Diego, California. And they'll also ask what's your cheapest, cheapest eighth, cheapest pre-roll, whatever it is. Um, they will buy based on price and price alone. And so that's still a big part of the market. There are people out there that will ask about this company or that company, but it's uh, more of the exception than the rule. And I think the more people continue to use and enjoy cannabis, the more they'll learn about it and hopefully learn uh, a little bit more in depth so that they can appreciate the different strains and then maybe demand like, hey, we want terpene tests on everything. I think that'd be a at least nice start for some people to have at least a little more than just a black and white paper that says 25 or 30% THC. So, and uh, I think we're seeing more Source, of that. Trust me, bro. <laughs> trust me, bro is always good too. Uh, or, or when you ask like, hey, do you have x strain they say oh let me check yeah i do have that so always always good to ask the plug what do you have get the response back and then choose from the selection because if you say hey do you have this the answer is often going to be yes from a lot of people and do you really think people would just do that just lie to you to your face i have uh seen it (laughs) yes it does happen i used to work for a guy that uh, was part of the reason i left because I, as a medical patient, like it matters a lot to me knowing that that strain that's labeled this is actually this. So like, if it says blue dream, like that was a, a hard point for me. Cause like blue dream is really important medicine or it was for a while in my life. And the fact that people will sell crosses of it as blue dream. And it's so far, it's literally like only 50% of the DNA and it could be leaning directly towards the other parent. So it's like a blue dream cross to a cush. And then like the cush is completely dominating it. So like the high that you might be looking for is like a light, uplifting, focused, you know, more mellow. And then you just get whacked in the face by something. And you're like, this was not what I was hoping for. And I saw a lot of that with Jack Herrera also. A lot of people uh, selling Jack crosses as Jack. Like one service actually showed up to my house. And after like talking to him on the phone, specifically saying like, I only wanted if it's Jack Herrera, they showed up with like a XJ13. And I'm like, this is not what I ordered. <laughs> like, so it's uh we still have some of those that was prop 215 days but yeah it happens and uh not the best but i think ultimately we're all moving to a place where more people are now know what they're smoking on than ever before and i think it's going to continue moving in that direction and hopefully i don't know hey jack what did you think of that x13 j13 whatever it was did i kicked it back it nope okay you didn't take it but you have, have you ever smoked that strain what's up with that strain i don't love it uh, that's okay. why I actually turned it back is I had it too many times in the past looking for Jack crosses to kind of scratch that Jack itch and it just never lived never up to that spot. Got you. Yep. If you're looking for Jack Herrera, that is like similar. Funny enough, like Seedsman actually does their own Jack Herrera and they, I'm pretty sure still sell it. And everybody that I've had who's grown that out, has, it's been like a fantastic representation. So although it's like a knockoff, it's not the original from whoever, you know, it, uh, it still can scratch the itch. And then there's some crosses out there. I think like Jack the Ripper from Subpool, uh, Cinderella 99 is a basically BX3 of a Jack Herrera bag seed. So those would be the two that I would go to first if I was looking for like a Jack-esque high and not having Jack available. We got about nine minutes left and I want to just maybe kick it around the horn. I have a thing to say. 
Yeah, perfect, Matthew. Go ahead. I wanted to bring up that uh, you know, as we we're talking about like uh, sort of adding you know cannabinoids or you know various compounds to an extract to like enhance it in whatever way or or restore it, however you want to put it, whatever adjective you want to apply. Um, you know, just a just a friendly reminder that the very oxygen that you breathe is bad for you, right? Because it oxidizes, and that's how you're able to you know have oxygen store and uh, go throughout your body and your body has to um, make do with that it has to get rid of the uh, oxidants right it has to use and of course it's such a cliche buzzword to say antioxidants right because first of all that means a lot of things and whatever but it's true it's like you know when we talk about like things that are going to hurt you or help you you know, I just think that that context is really super duper important to keep in, in mind. You know, even the foods that you eat that are good for you, you know, your body has to process out some things that are, are not so great for you sometimes. And, you know, it's all, it's, it's a, it's just, it's wonderful that we're able to do, to eat many of the things that we are able to eat. We have a pretty wide breadth as, as animals, as far as our diet is concerned. And most people don't even take full advantage of it. Um, for logistical reasons, not even necessarily because people don't want to or, or cannot. But uh, um, yeah, I guess I just wanted to throw that out there, like uh, smoking or, you know, vaping or however you're going to do this. Like, you know, th there are many things that are a problem in your body and your body has to constantly deal with those stressors. The light that hits your skin, the UV is not great. You know, the oxygen in your own blood, not so great. And uh, um, I saw I saw a label on the air in California. So it may cause cancer, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, it's a relevant point to bring up. Right. A criminalite or whatever it is in uh, fried foods. Right. I'm not going to I'm not going to give it up. Um, growing up, uh, I, uh, I watched a lot of anime and uh, I was always I always thought the uh, character archetype of a character named Ritsuko or m many others in uh, various media where you've got the doctor that also smokes. And I know we have Dr. Coco here, but I mean like, uh, like cigarettes, you know, and it's such a, it's kind of a cliche stereotype. Cause it's like, on the one hand, it's like, they're a doctor. They should like know better, you know, on the one hand, on the other hand, it's like, well, know what you're doing and make the cost benefit analysis for yourself and realize if that's going to be positive or negative for you. Anyways, I don't want to bogart, but yeah. Before we go into shout outs, um, Flora Nuggs is disagreeing with the history that I just laid out, but Cinderella story as told by uh, Mr. Soul, I'm not going to go through the whole entire thing, but we'll go to the pertinent points that here it says J.H. Bud, J.H. standing for Jack Carrere, produced a very special female he called Princess, a.k.a. a bag seed. Got it from a coffee shop in Amsterdam. Went through, back crossed it three times. Here's the whole entire process described. I'll send this link out to the chat. They described the different uh, things in the back crosses. P50, where it's uh, half. They ultimately back crossed it to one other strain to help stability. But the cubing process is involved with Princess, which is Jack Herrera, back crossed three times. So that's what I was describing, not the Jack the Ripper. But I want to spotlight Noah the Grower, who's showing off his beautiful garden right now. Spotlight for everyone. No, what are, we look, what are we looking at over here? Uh, just, uh, yeah, this is just my garden right here. Uh, everything's pretty much the same except for it looks like uh, that. 
This one right here is an apple fritter. That one's an overflow. This one in the front, this new one, that's a platinum. And then these ones right here, the same as last time, apple fritter, platinum. I can't tell what that one is. The stickers in the back. But, uh, and then this, this is a runts. I know that. That's a purple punch. That's a platinum. That's a dosey dose. That's a runts. That's an apple fritter. So, and then I got my new uh, moon boots, uh, which is Moonbow crossed with, I think, white chocolate cookies. I got that. I'm going to be flipping that over here. You know what? That's what that other one is. That's the that one right there. This is this is apple fritter. I know it isn't. I know that's out. I know that's moon boots. I must have had a sticker on the side of that pot and got lazy. <laughs> but I know that's the moon boots. So. I like some of the moon crosses, like the moon bow and uh, yeah, a few yeah, other the things from archive. Yeah, the moon bow crosses are pretty good. Um, What's right up front bow. there? This right here? Sorry. Yeah, this one right here? That, that's apple chunk. fritter. Yep, that's, yep. Lump, that's Lumpy's that's cut nice apple little, fritter. That's a nice and, little um, chunk right there. Look at that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's probably like well, week seven right now from flip from 12-12. This whole killer, man. Uh, let the people know where they can find you. Noah. Yeah, I'm no other girl with two E's on Instagram. You can find me there. And uh, I always try and make it here. I had a gender reveal for my uh, my oldest son today. Found out I'm going to have a granddaughter, another one. And uh, yeah, I, I came a little bit late, but uh, I'm almost, I always try to be here with all you guys. And I uh, always have a blast. Well, cheers to you, Noah, and congratulations. Congrats. And uh, you're proof that, you know, grandpas can grow dank too. And, That's right. Uh, Keep on growing, Noah. Awesome having you always. And uh, next up, I'm going to kick it over to Dr. MJ. Hey, guys. This was an interesting show. I, I felt like I had a lot to say about a lot of the topics, so hopefully I didn't chime in too much. Um, the one thing that I, we didn't get to when we were wrapping up sort of the first part of the conversation about grams per watt per square foot, all of that, um, we didn't actually toss out a, a lot of numbers about grams per square foot. And I do think grams per square foot is a reasonable way to approach this this topic assuming that your square feet are sort of fully lit um so maybe that could be something that we think about over the week and we can share next week what sort of our what our targets would be for grams per square feet in in our grows and you know give the audience something to to measure themselves about um anyways I'll do my sign off now so I'm I'm Dr. MJ Coco from uh, CocoaForCannabis.com we publish articles, tutorials, and guides on the science and practice of growing cannabis. Check it out. Um, we're doing the, the plant training grow challenge is like starting sort of now. Our flip day is October 1st. So get your plants growing so that you can flip them on October 1st. Maybe that's now, maybe that's in a couple of weeks, you know, it depends on sort of your setup. Um, but it's going to be a cool challenge. Check that out at cocoforcannabis.com forward slash challenge. Um, check out my YouTube. I'm working on a video that kind of came up in, in some of the comments earlier today. I'm working on a video about um, the science and engineering of LED diodes. It's probably going to still be a couple more weeks before that gets done, but um, I've been enjoying sort of putting that together so you can look forward to that on my channel. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, panel. Um, thanks, chatters who always keep this show sort of interesting and fun and fresh. And um, I'll see everybody back here next week. Thank you so much for joining. Always happy to have you. And next up.
Matthew Gates. Yeah, I also really enjoyed the um, the heady discussion, uh, especially with the light. Uh, I always like to hone myself when it comes to a subject I don't know a ton about. Um, and also, I thought it was really interesting to get people's impressions on uh, the taste and the cannabinoids and also, um, you know, adding or subtracting certain substances there. I think there's a lot of interesting merit to that conversation. So if you're interested, um, my work is uh, pest management. So if you want free information about that, you can check out my Zenthanol YouTube channel. You can also find me at zenthanol.com for professional inquiries. If you're a home grower, if you're a commercial grower, anything like that. I'm very interested in helping you out uh, in the preventative and also the curative nature of pest management, not just insects and mice, but also fungi and all kinds of other things. So, um, and uh, I'll try to be at more events like the Skunk Magazine event that happened recently. It was very fun. So talk to you guys later. Always good stuff. Love the in-person events. And you definitely do a great job helping out with the pest management side of things and informing the people. So uh, the one last note on the Cinderella 99 is the Shiva skunk is the other strain that was in there for the support structure. Um, but yeah, pr pretty much a BX3 of Jack Herrera with a little bit of Shiva skunk mixed in there. Last and certainly not least, we've got the American one. Hello, Jack, as always, thanks for hosting. And yeah, I stepped on, I felt like I stepped on everybody at least once, my apologies. Um, I want to shout out Marcus Greenthumb, who comes in chat uh, probably every week for uh, gifting me some of that RSO. I'm definitely feeling really good right now. And it definitely helped out when I when I got that cut on my leg. So yeah, shout out to him and shout out to everyone in chat. You know, I'll just drop one of my Instagram posts in chat so you guys can find me easy on the IGs. That's usually where, I, yeah, I, I keep saying this every time, but I got to put more stuff on YouTube and I have yet to do it. So if you use me as like, uh, Make yourself feel good. If you do anything, that means you've done more than me. So, and uh, yeah, peace out, everyone. It was really great chatting up. Oh, I want to make one clarification. All that separation with the distillate and everything, there is, there could be a need for medical use. So like, I don't want to say it's totally bad, but yes, definitely. I think it would be better if it's all full spectrum, the entire plant extracted from one plant, keeping the same exact terpene profiles that the actual plant had. Because there's compounds that they don't count for that's not going to be in that distillate card anyway. The minute amounts of stuff that could do, who knows, but whatever. But yeah, all right. Peace out. I am fucking high. That's a good thing, man. Uh, cheers to Marcus Greenthumb. Like you said, he's a great dude. Often in the DMs, just chatting it up with him. He's got some pretty cool glass going on, little glass collection. And uh, just genuine, great dude, long-time listener, a uh, big supporter of the show. So big ups to him. Marcus, you're a good dude. I can't wait to meet you in person someday. Uh, but yeah, with all that being said, I had a great time tonight. Another great show. Thank you all for listening in the chat. Thank you all on the panel for showing up and having a lively discussion. And uh, I, for anyone out there who doesn't know, I just kind of drop these topics on them blind right as the show starts. So no one really knows before we go in and uh, we just kind of free ball it from there. And I think uh, it makes for some exciting conversations where people kind of give their fresh perspectives and had another great time this week. And I look forward to next week. This has been Jack Greenstock. Uh, you can find me at Jack Greenstock right here. You all know where to find me already. So uh, one thing I want to say is check out daga.garden if you're looking for some amyasa seeds because it's some killer. It's going around. I'm joking that it's going to be the next Gorilla Glue that doesn't spread any hoplite and virus. But uh, cheers to you, Tao, and everybody else on the panel. It's been great having you. Uh, this is Jack Greenstock signing out. Peace and love. Catch you all next week. Grow.